Episode 71. Episode 71. Are you ready to begin episode 71? I'm laughing so I don't cry. That's right. Yeah, it's, I'm surprised that we're still doing this. What is there to talk about, right? Why am I here? You don't, you don't, you don't want to do the show? <laughs> Should we just cancel the show? <laughs> cancel Fred Couples? Cancel Brady Henderson? Those guys are great. I but mean, it's just you and me. We shouldn't yeah, talk about this. What are we going to say? What are we going to say? I was all set to call it episode Walter Jones, but maybe we should call it episode Marshawn Lynch. Are you ready for them to sign Marshawn Lynch for the 49ers again? You think he's in playing shape right now, wherever he might be? <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I was thinking about him on the way over to your house, and I thought, of all, he, uh, he's not Mr. T right now in Rocky Three, sweating it out <laughs> in a gym with leaky pipes, right? There's no way. He's kicking back loving retirement. How many how many pounds overweight? Oh, yeah. He's he has I mean, I'm speculating, but the wor- I just want you to know social media is on fire. Yeah, he the whole world wants them to sign Marshawn Lynch. The whole world wants to hear the news by midnight on the night that we're recording this that the Seahawks have re-signed Marshawn Lynch for the 49ers game, and he'll be in the starting lineup God. at CenturyLink Field against the 49ers. It'll be equivalent to the Seahawks signing Franco Harris in 1984. <laughs> That's about what we'll get out of him, I think. Oh, dear. Mitch Unfiltered, it is episode 71. Spotify, MitchUnfiltered.com, Podcast Attic, and of course, Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Apple and you love the show, despite the fact that you're pissed off about the Seahawks, what happened on Sunday, drop us a five-star rating and comment for the holidays. If you don't or don't, forget it. Uh, no chance. Now you th- I shouldn't even ask you before we start the show whether you think there's no chance against the 49ers now with all the injuries and the loss on Sunday. But you didn't think that there was a chance before any of this. So there's no reason to ask you that question now, right? Well, how'd you feel at halftime of the Seahawks game considering their chances against the Niners? Did they look good against the Cardinals? I mean, the whole game... I don't game, ever I'm, do that. I don't ever do that. Really? I don't ever do... I, I don't you don't consi- watch the team and see if they look good? I don't... I don't I, if you're asking me before I knew that Carson and ProSize yeah. and Dwayne Brown are out for the year, or in Brown's case, out for the 49ers game, if you're asking me before I knew that those three guys and all the injuries would affect the 49ers game, I don't think... I, I really don't. I don't look at an NFL game and say, oh, they're not going to win next week because they mm. look like crap this week. I think there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of uh, psychology to every game. I think there's, every game is in and of itself. I don't know. I don't think I would have turned to you and said, I don't think they can beat the 49ers the way they look right now. Because that's what now, I was thinking the but, whole time. Oh, well, you, you thought that before they even I did. suited and, up against the Cardinals. And really, it was less about the Seahawks and more about how good the 49ers look. I yeah. just thought they looked really, really – they're but playing now, well. But now you throw at me <laughs> – yeah. You throw at me no running game against the 49ers unless they're going to come up with a running game without their best offensive linemen and without their best three running backs. They're going to somehow come up with a running game uh, against the 49ers on Sunday night. Then I think they have a chance, but I, I don't know how they I don't know how they run the ball on Sunday night without their three running backs and without Dwayne Brown. I, I don't know how they run the ball. I don't know either. I was looking for an answer from and you. The, and can they win the 49er game? without running the ball. I mean, do they have a stifling enough defense for the defense to go out and win the Smart game ass. if they get Clowney back, if they get Shaq Griffin back? Do they have a do they have a chance that the defense is there any chance whatsoever that the defense could go out and just win one game at home on a Sunday night against the 49ers? No. All right, I'm out of here. See you, man. <laughs> stifling defense. I've heard this defense called a lot of things. Have they been stifling very often? Not once this year. Okay. 
for the most part. Their yeah. best, but their best hour was against the 49ers. Was against yeah. the 49ers. What about this inability to win at home? How weird has the season been? It's been the weirdest season. Three losses at home now, four and three, and yet they're looking at a home game to win the NFC West. <laughs> if I had said to you before the season started, they're going to have a home game at the end of the year, week 17, to win the NFC West, you would have said, where do I sign for that? That's that right. sounds like a great year. And yet here we are just kind of waving the white towel That's before right. the game is even played. Well, maybe we shouldn't wave the white towel. Maybe we're just affected by what we just saw, the problem of the injuries. Well, it's the combination of they looked awful combined with Carson out for the year, Dwayne Brown out for the year. I mean, it's really got this cloud over my head that I can't get rid of. Maybe it's nice that we don't think they have a chance against the 49ers. Or we've already gone all the way, <laughs> circled all the way around to just, well, we got nothing to lose. Well, maybe, yeah, if, maybe. If, if you're going to convince me that they have no chance to win on Sunday night, they have no chance to win a home game even without those guys, then maybe maybe that's that takes the pressure off of me and fans. We just go into the game knowing they're in the playoffs one way or the other. Yeah, it'll yeah. be a wild card, but let's just throw caution to the wind and see what happens. Maybe that maybe lowering the bar of expectations for the 12s is the best thing. And maybe, I, I wonder if it affects the players too. I wonder if they go in a little looser as well and not feeling so much pressure, knowing that they're going in maybe, shorthanded. Maybe. You know that they can still be – you don't know this because you're, if you're reading social media, you see a lot of inaccurate information. Yes. You know that they could still be the one. They can still be the two. They can still be the three. They still can be the five, and they still can be the six. One, two, three, five, and six are all still on the table at the time of our recording this episode number 71. And going back to what you said, if, if I would have told you that in like – August, you would have been like, I'll yeah. take it. If you would have said to me, they will have already clinched going into the final game of the season, a, a playoff spot. They'll be playing for the NFC West, and they'll have a chance, an outside chance, of winning the number one seed overall, yeah. going into the final game, a home game against the 49ers. I would have, first, I would have committed you to some sort of an assignment. <laughs> right. And then I would have said, yes, where do I sign? That's right. And yet all of those things are accurate, and here we are, defeated as all hell. We are, aren't we? I mean, everybody just so <laughs> defeated. It's amazing. Because it's the injuries. Yeah. It's not the loss to the – I'm telling you, I know for you it might be the loss to the Cardinals. I think it's the injuries. How many times have you seen this team play to the level of their opponent? They lose games like this, and then they turn around when you think they have no chance, and they win games like they did on that Monday night in San Francisco, in Santa Clara against – they do that. I think the killer are the injuries – the fact that your starting left tackle is not going to play against the 49ers. You're, you're all-world running back who runs through contact, and that's the type of guy that you need against a 49ers defense, a guy who's gritty and is going to make three when there's none and is going to make five when there's one and is going to make nine when there's four. That's the guy you need. Yeah. It's, the, it's more the injuries than anything else that has, have left kind of abandoned me for the 49ers game. I don't know. I'm just saying. Guests uh, on episode 71, Freddie Couples just back from the President's Cup in Australia will be on episode 71. He's a big Seahawks fan. New Heisel on the dogs. Your dog's crushing Boise State. Yep. And his official playoff picks will be episode 71. ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson on the Titanic finale mm. versus the 49ers. Does he also believe there's no chance with Travis Homer? Is that the guy's name? <laughs> yes, Travis it is. Homer out of Miami, the most, rookie running back. The, probably the most sore person on the planet on Monday morning, right? I mean, he took a lot of – he hasn't taken that many carries okay. all year. If you think he's sore this Monday morning, 
Right. How do you think he's going to be oh, next Monday oh, morning? Oh, God, the poor fellow. Unless Marshawn Lynch is coming to town. <laughs> and if Brady Henderson and Rick Neuheisel and Fred Couples not enough for episode 71, look, the, story, the pop culture story of the week is Star Wars, correct? Yes. Huge. 170 some odd million domestically, 340 million uh, worldwide release. I got to get the views of movie mogul Max, who's very, very opinionated. He saw it. He saw it at 1245 a.m., a, a, a special oh crew gosh. showing at the movie theater. You know, he's movie mogul Max because he works at a movie theater. Sure, yeah. It was a special crew showing. He came home at 3 o'clock in the morning. 1245 it senior. started? It started after oh everybody, cle- yeah. everybody cleared out of the theater, and movie mogul Max then brought his buddies in. They allowed buddies to come in at 1245, 1 o'clock in the morning. They started watching this Fakakta Star Wars, <laughs> and now he's got plenty to say. I'm not going to ruin it, but he has. he's very spirited in his remarks and opinions about the new Star Wars movie. If somebody offered me to come to that screening and said, okay, if you stay awake for the whole thing, not only do you get to watch the movie, we'll give you $1,000 cash, I don't know if I could stay awake for that entire thing. 1245 that's a two-hour movie. You'd have to pay me more than $1,000. <laughs> I haven't seen a Star Wars movie since the second one in like 1978 that I walked out of, and then I promised myself I'll never go to another one of these things. I didn't understand it. I don't have any idea. Most people say the second one is the best one ever. Empire Strikes Back. That's the one you went to. I don't know the second one. Yeah, I saw yeah. the original. I saw the original Star Wars. Yep. Hated it, and then everybody was going to the second one. Yeah. And I didn't understand the first one. I think part of the reason I hated it is because I'm just not smart enough to understand it all. Yeah. My mind doesn't work in the sci-fi way. Okay. And then everybody was going to the second one, and I was a kid. I was like, all right, I'll go to the second one, and. Like a quarter of the way through, through it, I was like, "Why did I do this? I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't care. It's boring." And I, it's, and I believe, and, I, and this is actually true. What I'm about to say, it's not like. I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie since. Well, well, what year would have been the second Star Wars? About eighty. Oh, it would have been 80. eighty. Well, I was in first grade, so I don't know. All right, I was thirteen. And, all right, I was thirteen in nineteen eighty. Okay, I'm fifty-two now. Yeah, I have not walked out of a movie <laughs> since yeah. I was thirteen years old. I've walked out of one movie in my life because usually you pay for it. It's like I'm gonna get my money's worth. <laughs> yeah. There's a chance it might get good, but it was some cockamamie. I forgot <laughs> what it was called. Who the actor was? But you, so you think Star Wars is boring, but you love golf? That's not. That, that's a tough one for me to wrap my head around. Oh my around. god, it's so many. It's so much different. How okay. could you? I can compare. A lot one of people think other. golf is boring, though. Oh yeah, the world. I, I'm okay with that. Okay, well. See, that's the thing. I'm not going to be like a Star Wars geek who's going to get like, who's going to get like offended if somebody tells me they don't like Star Wars. If I, I, I get people tell me, how do you like the whole golf thing? Yeah, I get that. Fine, don't like it. Yeah, yeah. More for me. All right. <laughs> More for you. My wife calls those movies pew 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 pew. That's like that's all I hear throughout Star Wars. That's movies. what a Star Wars movie that, is to her. Yes, that, that's all she hears. Fred Couples, Rick Neuheisel, Brady Henderson, movie mogul Max on Star Wars. It's a loaded episode seventy one. We'll try to make you smile and laugh despite what happened on Sunday. All righty, Scott. Episode seventy one about to begin. Brought to you by Daniel's Broiler. It's going to be off the charts. Niners and Seahawks. The viewing party to end all parties on Sunday. Let me know if you want in. Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. You know by now about the latest addition to the Daniel's family of world class steakhouses. The downtown location at the new Hyatt Regency, where we'll be on Sunday. Perfect for dinner before a show at the Paramount Theater. It's the king of all special 
special occasions, Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses. The Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage. It's the holiday season, and all year I've been pleading with you guys, at the very least, to give Jordan Flowers' team a call at 425-250-3150 just to see if a refinance makes sense for you and your family. For the last many months, people all over the country have been reducing their monthly payments and even pulling thousands and thousands of dollars out to do renovations or whatever by Christmas gifts. Call them at Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and not only the originator of Evervestment.com, a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of Evergreen's clients have but still want to grow our money, but they're one of the biggest reasons that Mitch Unfiltered continues to crank out shows week after week. Check them out at evervestment.com. Zeke's Pizza, we were there on Sunday for the Cardinals Seahawks game. My boys and I had dinner a couple of weeks ago at the new 17th location in Woodenville on 135th Avenue Northeast. Whether it's at home with Zeke's door-to-door delivery or at one of their 17 locations, you can't beat it. Sports Pizza Craft Beer with a true blue Northwest company, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Episode number 71 begins right now. Unfiltered. Is Pete Carroll rolling the dice in Charlotte? Is he saying, okay, we've got three or four guys that if this were the Super Bowl, they'd play. They'd be medical, medically cleared to play. But I think we can win this game without them. I think we can win without Clowney and Ansa. I think we can win without Kendricks. I think we're going to beat Carolina and we can steal a week or two. Maybe we even rest them against Arizona next week and then we have them full-fledged again. Is it possible that Pete Carroll was not told by the medical staff these guys can't play? It's just that they've just decided to take a little chance. Is that possible? Unfiltered. I've been saying since they went to two and even when they went to four that I thought that eight was the sweet spot. And if we can get to eight, I would not be in favor of going to 16. Everybody says, yo, once you get eight, then you're going to want 16. And then it's going to become the basketball tournament. There's going to be 64 teams in there. And I don't think it'll get that way. I think most college football fans, you can speak for yourself, you're a college football fan, like me, I'd like eight teams. I don't think four is quite enough, and I think 16 is way too many. Mitch is unfiltered.
try to make you smile. It's hard. Make me smile first, okay? I'll try to make you (laughs) smile. It's episode episode Walter Jones. I am truly blessed. To my fellow Hall of Famers, I am so honored to wear this gold jacket. Number 284 of 287. I wear it with pride, and I promise to respect all it represents as long as I live. It's an honor to join Steve Largent and Cortez Kennedy. That's the third player to represent the Seahawks franchise and the 12th man. The big fella, number 71. Does there need to be any conversation, either now or later, about episode 71 in this town being episode Walter Jones? In any town being episode. The greatest number 71 in... Football, basketball, baseball, hockey history is probably Walter Jones and in any town. The people below him, probably not even close, right? I could tell you who they would be. Okay. Do you remember Webster? <laughs> yes, I do remember. <laughs> Webster, he played in the NFL? No, he never oh, wore 71. All right. He wore a half. Okay. Um, Webster's dad oh, sure. on the TV show. George Are Papadopoulos. People? George Papadopoulos. Yes. Played by? Uh, Alex Karras. Alex Karras, who was a very good football player and wore number 71. Who I'd never heard of until the show Webster, but <laughs> was, I've since gone back and heard of him. Yes. By the way, Emmanuel Lewis, still still alive. Oh. Webster, still alive. 48 years old. I think he owns a record label. Really? I think he has his own record label. He's oh. a multi-million dollar... I'm not. <laughs> Uh, Walter Jones, there's a couple of NASCAR guys, Dave Marcus, Bobby Isaac, I don't know. Tony Baselli wore number 70. He was a good offensive lineman. Good player. USC? But, one, but, but Walter, was Walter Jones on your top? I know that you've been watching the top 100. I have. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming Walter Jones won the top 100. He isn't one of the top 100, yes. He is or isn't? He is. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. But they, they, I don't like that whole top 100 thing. Well, it's kind of fun to watch. I mean, it's kind of cool if, like, to see who makes lo- it. It would be a lot better. Aren't they, don't they have like seven quarterbacks and ten receivers and all those. I mean, it'd be a better if it was just one team, your all-time NFL team. It would be much more interesting to me if they had to pick one or two quarterbacks, like a quarterback and a backup, like five offensive linemen and like two backups, like three receivers and not ten. Yeah, I know there's a big stink over Terrell Owens or something, but I don't, I don't know. Terrell's not on the list. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's pissed. Everybody, all Terrell Owens fans. Calvin pissed. Johnson fans, he was trending. People are pissed. He didn't, he didn't get on the list. And these people who are like 25 don't remember Steve Largent. Everybody wants Largent. He's on the list. Did you know that Steve Largent only made all pro one time? Is that possible? Is that right? I he don't know that. He was a one-time all pro. And because I, I read this for all the T.O. complaints, that he was five times an all pro. Steve Largent was one time, and Largent was on, and he wasn't. I don't know. Well, when Steve who, Largent, who, who decided this? The NFL Network? Who who, who made these? So. Was I think, there was there voting involved? Was there a whole panel of people involved? I think Belichick was in did on it. Did you have a ballot? No, I did not. By the way, Belichick's one of the hosts. It's kind of cool to see him act like a human. Yeah, I've, I've never seen it before. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, it's, but I've heard that yeah, he's, he's been joking around a little bit. It's, I'm not used to it. It's kind of cool that I didn't know he was like a Gronkowski, real Gronkowski telling Gronkowski stories. Yeah, I, was, I had to fast stuff. forward. A little, little too much Gronk stuff. All right, let let's clear let's clear the the misinformation up already. And I know. I know because I already went through this on Twitter. I sent out something as Mr. Postseason because I, I on my way home from Zeke's, and we thank Zeke's for oh, a yeah, fun time great. watching the Cardinals game. Um, on my way home, there was misinformation on the radio. I turned on the TV when I got home and watched the like the Q13 postgame show, and they do a great job. I love Aaron and the group. Mm-hmm. They had misinformation. Everybody's getting it wrong. 
And it's, I don't mean, I'm not taking swings or shots at everybody. So let's just clear things up before we get going on episode 71. Even though there are tons of Seahawks fans that are like, they can't, they're going nowhere. They're like you, they're not going to beat the 49ers. So why are we even discussing this? I, I think it's our responsibility, even though you don't think they're going to beat the 49ers to discuss this, right? Yeah, I think we should discuss it. Should yes. we not know the situation? Because the truth is, and you're going to hear and read, and maybe you did already, that by losing to the Cardinals, they've blown the chance of being a one seed. Well, yes. That's, that's wrong. Somebody on Twitter. So I said on Twitter, kind of joking wrong. around, at what point does Pete Carroll just pull everyone and kind of wave the white towel or the white flag and say, okay, we'll look forward to next week. And somebody, of course, says, well, if he does that, then you're not going to have a home playoff game. Every Here's <laughs> the like, problem. I think what? the team, and we'll get back to this, I think the team played the game having listened to you your advice, <laughs> like it's an ex- it was not an exhibition game. I don't know what every why My everybody advice. in this everybody in the in the Northwest were like treating this like oh this game doesn't matter. Let's just go win the, the game. Mean. Mattered, Mister Postseason. Yeah. Did you not listen to Mister? But the game mattered. I, I'm with you. I so said that at halftime. People time. thought the game didn't matter. The well, game mattered. I wasn't by the one way. of those. Yeah, of course. Even though they lost, they can still be one, two, three, five, or six. But had they won that game, they would be in much better position. This whole notion. I don't know who started this. That I, I think it was because the, everybody knew that the 49er game was going to be for the NFC West, regardless of it. Now that's true. Yeah. The NFC West, but they could their chances of being a one or two seed got got hurt. That they they were playing for seeding on Sunday against the Cardinals. Right. That game mattered, and I almost feel like Pete Carroll didn't think the game. I, I wonder whether Pete Carroll and the coaching staff no, thought the game mattered. They don't look at it that way. There's no way they are there to win. By the way, I was sitting next to these They're high schoolers. They're there to win. Are you positive that the guys that they didn't play yeah. couldn't play? Are you now? I know we know Dwayne Brown couldn't play because he's having surgery on Monday. Are you sure Shaq Griffin couldn't play? Clowny. You sure? You sure if it was the Super Bowl? You sure if it was the 49ers game one week earlier? You sure all these guys wouldn't have played? You sure Pete Carroll was playing the game to win? Yes. Are we positive about that? I'm just asking. We're, we're not positive about anything. Okay. No. But I was sitting by these high schoolers, and it's already started at Zeke's Pizza. One of them says, well, it's, I just, it'd be better to go on the road and play Dallas anyway. Stop it. I know. I was like, I, I wanted it. to jump over with a fork and stick you it should've. in his neck. I was like, stop. Would have been an ugly scene. Yeah, I, I wanted to be nice to the Zeke. So people. let's go through the Mr. Postseason <laughs> real quickly. Then we'll come back to the Seahawks and why I'm annoyed at the Seahawks' performance on Sunday. Just unbelievably pathetic. I mean, just pathetic. Yep. On Sunday, but yes, they, can they still be the one? You're going to hear that they can't be. Yes, they. There is one scenario where they can be the number one seed, okay. and I'll give it to you. Okay. Yep. It's very. It's it's pretty simple. If you listen closely, it's simple. If you don't listen and you listen, you half listen. It's not simple. All right. Okay. The Seahawks have to beat the 49ers, win the NFC West. Got it. Okay. The Saints have to lose to Carolina to fall into a tie with the Seahawks. And the Packers have to, at the time of this recording, everybody knows this, I think, by now. We're recording on Sunday. The Packers play on Monday night against the Vikings, so we don't know the outcome of that game at the time of this recording. The Packers have to win exactly one of their last two. They can't go 0-2, and they can't go 2-0. Okay. If they go 2-0, that means they're the number one seed. Right. And they go 0-2. Then the, the Saints are in a one are in a tiebreaker with the Seahawks. And the Seahawks, Seahawks lose it. Gotcha. Right. So, okay. Yep. So the one, there's one scenario where the Seahawks can be the number one seed, and that's it. And I just gave it to you. Okay. Seahawks win. Saints lose to Carolina. And the Packers go 1-1 one one in their last two games. Okay? It seems like a lot, but I got it. Yeah. That's it. Okay. All right. Now, can they be the number two seed? Yes, they can be the number two seed. 
it might be easier to say how wouldn't they be the number two seed. There's really only one scenario where they're the three seed. Okay? Okay. And that's the Seahawks winning. There's only one scenario where they're the three seed where they win. Where they win. Okay. Where they win, they're the West champs. If the Packers win two, beat both the Vikings and the Lions, they finish with a better record than the Seahawks. Okay. Right? Easy. Yeah, easy and enough. And the Saints, no matter what, will either finish with a better record or if they lose to the Carolina Panthers, a tie, a two-team tie. So in either case, the Saints are ahead. If the Packers win two and get out to the number one seed or the number two seed, the, there's no, there's nothing the Seahawks can do. Gotcha, because the Seahawks will be tied with the Saints. The Saints will win that tie If, the, sa- if the Saints if lose, the, to lose to Carolina, and if the yeah. Saints beat Carolina, they're ahead of the Seahawks anyway. anyway. So the Seahawks are the three seed with a win against the Niners and winning the NFC West if, and only really if, the Packers win the next two. So you are a huge Vikings fan on Monday Night Football. A huge Vikings fan. If you, if you think the Seahawks are going to beat the Niners. If you think the Seahawks are going to lose to the Niners like you do, um, not only does it not really matter that much, yeah. but it actually might be better for you if the Packers beat the Vikings because now you're talking about five, five and six. six. Yeah. yeah, I don't think the Seahawks are going to win, but... I did, I okay, thought they then, were... you, then you're a, then you're a Packers fan Ugh. on Monday night. You're going to be going against the rest of the Seahawks nation. The rest of the Seahawks nation is going to be cheering for well, the Vikings. I didn't say I'm not going to cheer for the Seahawks or root for them. I just don't think they're going to do it. If you don't think that the Seahawks can win the 49ers game, it's in their best interest that the Packers win on Monday night football. To try to get the Vikings down to six. If you want the five seed instead of the six. And if you don't care whether it's the six or the, you're the five or the six, maybe you don't care whether you're the five or the six. So so there, I just did it for you. One, two, three, five, and six. Did you get those? Yes. Okay. Now, if you had to make a prediction right now at the time of this recording, what right. seed will the Seahawks be? Well, I don't think they're going to win the game either. <laughs> After all the crap you gave me, you don't think they're going to beat the 49ers? I don't, I don't think they're going to beat the 49ers. Okay. I don't say they have no chance. You have pretty much said through the past and the present now with the injuries that you don't, you don't give them much of a chance. I do give them a chance. I think they've got a 25 30% chance to win the game on Sunday night. They're at home. It's one game. Who knows what could happen? Maybe the defense can rise up. Maybe Clowney can play and Shaq Griffin can play. Maybe Russell Wilson can have a Houdini type of performance. I give them like a, a an underdog puncher's chance on Sunday night. So if you're asking okay. me what seed do I think they're if, – if, are you asking me – You have to make a prediction, yeah, and if you're if right. I have to bet all my money on yeah. one seed. On one number. Five, huh? Yeah, that's that sounds about right. Not going to, I mean, by the way, thank you for flexing it to Sunday night so the whole world can watch the Seahawks get their ass kicked, right? Thank you for that, NFL. Great. Now everyone gets, how long have the Niners been waiting for retribution since the Richard Sherman embarrassment and calling them out and the I thought they were going to get it the other night. I thought they were going to get it a few weeks ago. I thought it was all set up for the the passing of the torch when they hosted the game on Monday. We thought they were going to get embarrassed on Monday Night Football in San Francisco. We did. You thought they were going to get embarrassed because I thought they were going to get embarrassed. And then they're down 10-0 and we really thought they were going to get embarrassed. And what happened? They won the game. They did win the game, but now they get to do it at, at the, the stadium where all their embarrassment happened in 2014. To wrap up Sunday's disaster, mm-hmm. here's, what I, here's, here's my opinion about what happened on Sunday. 
Okay. I really don't want to hear about injuries as they relate to Sunday's loss. You want to throw injuries at me to use them as excuses. You want to cry a foul. You want to cry injuries on the game that's coming up, that they're going to lose the game that's coming up because of injuries. I'm okay with that. I don't want to hear about injuries as it relates to the Arizona Cardinals game. You don't think it played a factor? Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm sure it play, played a factor, but I don't want to hear about it because the fact is they were at home. I don't care who they put out there. They were at home against a 4-9-1 and one football team a quarterback that was a rookie making his first start at CenturyLink Field, and they were not competitive. They got blown out, okay? Do I need to go back over the tail of the tape? Let's go back for, the, for our non-patrons out there. Let's go back and remind people about the Arizona defense, shall we? I already got a message from that same guy on Twitter. <laughs> tail of the tape sucks. That's all I saw today. Arizona defense. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, for the people that didn't hear this or don't remember this or were drunk when they listened. <laughs> Arizona defense allowed coming into the game 28.4 points per game 30th okay third worst in the national football league the seahawks scored 13 yeah okay the arizona defense dead last in yards allowed per game dead last allowing 413 yards per game and the seahawks offense was fourth coming into the game so they were giving up 413 a game the seahawks offense 224 yards. Okay? First downs. The Cardinals defense, dead last in allowing first downs. They allowed 24 first downs a game. The Seahawks were in the top 10 getting first downs offensively. The Seahawks got 13 first downs. Third down percentage. The Cardinals gave up 48% third down conversions it's a coin third flip. worst in the national football league the seahawks are at home against a team that gives up 48 percent you know what they got eight percent oh god one for 12 on third down against a team that gives up 48 percent okay do you want me to go more 8.2 yards per pass attempt they allowed the cardinals defense third worst The Seahawks got 3.7 yards per pass attempt. It goes on and on. 78.6 passer rating against a team that gave up a 112 to other quarterbacks. They had seven. Your best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league at 78.6. MVP candidate. MVP candidate. Okay. I don't want to hear about injuries. Did injuries, you want to ask me if injuries played a role? I'm sure they did. There was something else going on in that game. I'm just saying there was something else going on. There was, there was a lack of preparation. There was a lack of focus. There was a lack of play calling from Brian Schottenheimer. There was a lack of, of intensity. There was a lack. They played that freaking game like a preseason game, like an exhibition game. They played the game. I'll go back to what I just said. Like they thought the game didn't matter at all that it had no bearing on the on the standings. They didn't talk to Mr. Postseason. They didn't call Mr. They played that game with no fire and and no urgency, yep. and I don't want to hear about injuries. Yeah, would they have had a better chance if Chris Carson played? Sure they would have. Sure they would have, and all the other guys. They should have been competitive with that football team, no matter what squad, no matter what personnel they put on the football field. Yeah. That was an embarrassment. That was pathetic. The fact that they didn't show up at home like that in the second to last week of the season. The way they came out in that first drive, that's how it should have looked for most of the game. Remember, they came out and scored seven remember, right yeah, away. Yeah. He was five of six for 77 yards yeah. and a touchdown. And the rest of the game, he went 11 of 25 for 92 yards. 
He was constantly 92. he was constantly under duress. Yeah. The offensive line couldn't protect him. How many times did Brian Schottenheimer call a play? For as good as Brian Schottenheimer's been this year, how many times did he call a play where he rolled him out or he moved the pocket? How many times? Yeah. I don't remember it. It's it's like they gave up. Yep. It's like they gave in. Like they they they, they didn't care. It, it it really felt like, "Oh my god, we don't care. We can win this game in our sleep." We'll win this game in our sleep. And then all of a sudden, you're in the fourth quarter going, "Holy crap." Yeah. What's happened here? Yeah. Well, you got what you deserved. That's what happened. The Seahawks were down 13 and it felt like 30 the way they were moving the ball. Yeah, they were down 13. I thought, "Well, they had five three and outs in a row against the worst defense in the league at your place." God. Five three and outs in a row against the worst defense in the league at your place. Don't tell me about injuries. I don't, yeah. I don't want to hear about injury. Now, unfortunately, the injuries are not just all about the Cardinals game. They're about the 49ers game. So, what could I tell you? What could I tell you? Chris Carson, I love him. I love how he runs hard. I do worry about him staying healthy for an entire season. I've been worried well, about he's it. he's so physical, yeah. He's so, he, he takes licks. He I mean, does. He takes He does. He gets licks. on the sidelines, and he doesn't want to just run out of bounds. He wants to turn it back and get a couple of – and punish the defense. And he runs and tall. That's what you and that's what you love about that's him. That's what though. makes him great. That's, that's what makes him great. Yep. Yep. And I worry about hey, it. Hey, here what we a, are. What a shame. He got this team to 11 wins, and he can't see it through. Such a shame, right? Yeah. Busted his ass for yeah. those 14 games. And as if all of this wasn't bad enough, as if the fact that they lost to the Cardinals isn't bad enough, as if the fact that they didn't have all these guys is not bad enough, as if it's not bad enough that Chris Carson can't play and Dwayne Brown's having sure Not a taco to be had. <laughs> That's the worst part, right? Not a taco to be had. From Taco Time on Tuesday. We're yeah. going to all have to purchase our own freaking tacos. I hope if the Seahawks come to Taco Time on Tuesday that they charge them triple. <laughs> That's right. Each <laughs> player should have to play, pay triple for that. Before, and the yeah. coaching staff. I, I actually – look, I, I'm going to speak out of my ass right now. Go this ahead. is a podcast. I'll just speak out of my ass because I don't really know. I don't really know whether Jadavion Clowney could have played or whether they said – Hey, Jadavion, let's – JC, just yeah. sit out this one. We'll win this one without you. I don't really know. I don't I'm know I'm not going to pretend to know. Only they really know, okay? I don't know that if if it was the Super Bowl on Sunday where the Shaq Griffin would have been out there uh, at his cornerback position. I have suspicions. I'm cynical. I'm skeptical. There was just something about the day, something about Pete Carroll's press conference after, which I saw and I watched – it felt like they just mailed this one in that they thought they would win this no matter what that they were thinking that they this was the this felt like the total look past this game to the 49ers game that I've ever seen in NFL football. This looked like a total a total indictment of the coaching staff and the preparation for that day on Sunday. Now, for all I know, I'm just a schmageggy on the side of the road with a, with a podcast. For all I know, they treated the preparation for that game against the Cardinals like it was the, the biggest, like it was for their last meal. I don't know. It just felt from the way they played, the way they looked, the way they called the play calling on offense, the way they talked after the game, that just looked like they totally... And then that you bring in the idea that maybe they rested players that they didn't have to rest yeah. that could have played. I don't know. 
I don't know, Scott. It, it had a bad. It had a real. My my mom would say something's rotten in Denmark. Yeah, it's her favorite expression. Something's ro- something was rotten in Denmark on Sunday against the Cardinals for the way they prepped for that game. If in fact he rested players who maybe could have played, I wonder if that also sort sort of sends a message to the rest of the team. Like, well, Pete's resting guys. He's pretty confident. Maybe I should be overly confident I don't know too. That, I don't know that it's true. I'm just speculating. I, but I could see that though. If if I'm a player and I see that my coach is resting guys, I go, oh well, we're gonna win this. My coach thinks so. Fred Couples, Rick Neuheisel, Brady Henderson. Movie mogul Max on the Star Wars release. A lot to do uh, that doesn't involve, thank goodness, what happened on Sunday between the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Well, happy holidays from the Schwartz family and Daniel's broiler. As you know by now, on Sunday, we're going to again close the Rick House Bar for an exciting, loud Seahawks private viewing party. One of the biggest regular season games in team history. Niners Hawks for all the NFC West marbles. Winner has an inside track to the Super Bowl and loser has to win three games almost certainly on the road. At the time of this recording, we do have a handful of reservations available. Doesn't matter if game time is at one or at five. We'll have the second loudest spot in town with steak and crab and prawns and scallops. You get the drift. All included in the price of $75 per person. Also includes beer and wine. If you're not attending the game, this is the next best thing. Just email me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Why Daniels? Because it's the class of the Northwest for special occasions like the holidays and New Year's. Enjoy the best meal, service, and ambiance to match. Less shy, South Lake Union, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Seattle location in the Hyatt Regency, Daniel's Broiler World Class Steakhouses. Unfiltered. Third and goal, blitz, throw, Fitzgerald, touchdown Cardinals. Oh, they quickly get to the line, a quick snap and pitch. Kenyon Drake, he's into the end zone for a Cardinal touchdown. It, it didn't matter kind of what phase we were in, we, we just weren't good enough today. And, and uh, we were ready to play and jacked up and all that, and then, then it turns out like that. It's just really a surprise. We're fortunate that we have a chance to play for a division uh, this late in the year. And uh, we're, what's important for us is to turn our, and be disciplined about this so that we can turn our focus uh, to that we cannot be affected by what just happened. And CJ, his injury. CJ broke his arm. It's episode 71, episode Walter Jones. It was not a good Sunday. It was not a good weekend for the hometown team. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, courtesy of Fireside Home Solutions. Don't forget that football season is fireplace season at Fireside Home Solutions. Start your, start your search right there at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. As is the case normally, Brady, this was a really bad day on Sunday. You not only lost a game to the Cardinals that you feel like you should have won, you know, nine out of ten times, but you almost feel like you may have lost two games in one day. Kind of give us your thoughts on this. Yeah, it, it really reminded me of that loss to the Saints in week three. Remember, uh, this is a long time ago now, but remember in that game, you know, they really got outplayed on both sides of the ball, and there were uh, a few pretty head-scratching coaching decisions in that game. And at the end of it, they lost to a, a backup quarterback in, in Teddy Bridgewater. Now, obviously, the Saints are maybe the best team in the NFC, and the Cardinals came into CenturyLink Field with only four wins, so this was um, way more of a discouraging loss. 
uh, not only because of who it was against, but because of who they lost in this game. Chris Carson, uh, the Seahawks fear that's a season-ending injury. C.J. Procise, that is going to be a season-ending injury. Uh, and Pete Carroll said that Dwayne Brown's going to be out for at least a couple weeks because uh, he has to have knee surgery. So uh, really a costly loss in terms of you know potential playoff seeding. Still going to come, you know, NFC West is still going to come down to uh, Week 17 against the 49ers, but they may have cost themselves uh, playoff seeding there, and obviously they lost some pretty important players in that game. Brady, help me close my eyes and visualize a 49ers, a game where they beat the 49ers on Sunday without the guys that you just mentioned and maybe some of the guys that didn't play on Sunday against the Cardinals. How do I picture that? How do I visualize that? Help us, please. Yeah, you, you said it there. I think it's going to be, you know, if they get Quandre Diggs back, uh, which, you know, he's he that'll only be two weeks after a high ankle sprain. So that would, you know, that that's no given there. That's on the short end of what is typically that timetable uh, for that injury. Maybe they get Jadeveon Clowney back. Um, that would be the first thing that comes to mind, just because it's hard to imagine the team uh, that we saw Sunday lose in the fashion that they did. Again, just getting outplayed in every phase, really, even special teams, too. There was, a, you know, some curious... Uh, plays and, and decisions there too. Um, it's hard to imagine that team beating, uh, you know, the 49ers team that you know I mentioned the Saints maybe being the best team in the NFC. You could also consider the 49ers in that class as well. Um, it, it's really hard to imagine. I know we're we're, we're always sort of um, you know prisoners to the moment and, and we react so much based on what we just saw um, and what we just saw. It's it's very hard to imagine that team beating the 49ers. So what's your conclusion about how they approach Sunday's game against the Cardinals? There are a lot of people out there. Mr. Postseason was not one of them, by the way, that were saying this game doesn't mean anything. They don't have to win this game. They're still going to play for the NFC West title on the 29th against the 49ers. Now, anybody who knew anything about scenarios knew that this game didn't mean something in terms of seeding in the NFC. Uh, do you feel like they heard all that stuff that they read? Because it just, and I hate to say it, but it just looked to me when I watched that that wasn't a team or a coaching staff that was prepared to play on Sunday against the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I don't think it was it was a matter of them, you know, sort of punting on this game or really not trying to win this game because I'm sure that they were well aware of the scenarios and knowing that if they won their final two regular season games that they would have been assured no worse than the NFC's number two seed, which of course comes with the first round bye. Um, you know, it, maybe maybe there it was more of, um, you know, they've heard all the buildup to that Week 17 game. You know, it, it, it's hard to say um, if, if they sort of maybe came out flat because of that. Because really, think of how that game started. They forced a three and out on defense, and then drive 89 yards uh, for a touchdown on their on their opening drive. And then, of course, it was all downhill from there. Um, but I, no, I mean, and, and you know, the other thing you could point to is is this, the players that sat: um, Shaquille Griffin with the hamstring injury, and uh, in addition to Quandre Diggs with the ankle injury, there was one more guy. Jadavian uh, Clowney. Clowney, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, Pete Carroll really did not give the impression that those guys were at all close to being able to play. Um, so it wasn't a matter of them. Uh, it didn't, doesn't sound like it was a matter of Carroll saying, yeah, maybe those guys could play if this was the 49ers game, but we're going to rest them uh, for Week 17. It, it doesn't sound like that was the case at all. It sounded like those guys just couldn't go. Well, it was, a, it was a week ago on 70 that you said to me that you thought that Jadavion Clowney sitting in Carolina was more of a function 
of the flu than anything else. Now we turn around and we still have the core problem that that means he misses the Cardinals game. Is there any guessing or should we just, you know, as you say, punt? Should we punt on guessing whether Jadavion Clyde, because everybody remembers the signature game of his year was the game against the 49ers on that Monday night. Should we just not even try to figure out whether he's going to play and just wait till Sunday, Sunday evening to find out? Yeah, I wouldn't mind because I think the, the BHI has taken about <laughs> as many hits as the Seahawks have in terms of injuries over the last few weeks. So I, I can't call it. Um, it, you know, it was curious because, you know, when he missed that Carolina game, I, that was, as far as Pete Carroll said, that was just because of the, of the illness. It wasn't because of the, the core injury. Um, and even by sitting and, you know, not playing that week and not even making the trip with the team to Charlotte, um, you know, I think it's concerning that he was not able to play even with that, you know, that weekend off basically. So, I can't really call it. Uh, I mean, certainly he's going to make every effort to be out there knowing what's at stake, but it's really hard to say. What about some of those coaching decisions? I'll start with Brian Schottenheimer, and I, as you know, nobody calls a football game as well as I do. <laughs> but but I have given Brian Schottenheimer a lot of credit this year. I think for the most part, he has had a very, very good year in his play calling. Sunday was not a good day. They could not protect Russell Wilson. They did not have Dwayne Brown out there. They lost Iapati for a portion of the game. They had all kinds of reserves along the offensive line, and yet there was no imagination. There was no creativity. There was no moving of the pocket. There was no misdirection. There was no rolling out of Russell Wilson to avo- avoid harm's way. It, it just, I don't know. It seemed like a very almost as if he was calling a preseason, an exhibition game. Very vanilla, very conservative, a lot of run-run pass what was your take on the play calling on Sunday you, you mentioned that the one thought that I've had the one you know the, the biggest thought I've had and the biggest criticism I would have of the way he called that game was you know usually when your quarterback is getting hammered and just plays have no chance um, then you get that guy out of the pocket and, and you call design rollouts that basically get him away from that pressure and it you know it's that's not a foreign concept to them we've seen that we've seen them do that we saw them do that a number of times under Daryl Bevel um, just because you know pass protection that's that's not a new issue for them um, he also saw the Rams do that a few weeks ago uh, with Jared Goff and that's that's a big reason why the Seahawks I don't believe they they had a sack or maybe they had one sack of him in that game whatever it was they they really the Rams kept him clean by getting him outside the pocket on design rollouts like that. So I thought it was a lot uh, to ask of, uh, of Russell Wilson, you know, to drop him back behind that offensive line with a backup left tackle and, and for, uh, you know, much of their, for part of the first half, uh, backup at left guard, um, not to mention against one of the NFL's best pass rushers in Chandler Jones. And, um, you know, that was sort of the, the overall kind of game uh, calling criticism I would have. And, and then if I was to pinpoint one play, um, I would say it's that third and three run that, yeah. you know, when they gave the ball to Travis Homer at the end of the third quarter. And typically, yeah. you know, I, I give coordinators uh, the benefit of the doubt just because they're operating with way more information than I am uh, while I'm watching the game up in the press box. With that said, why the hell is Travis Homer, a fourth-string running back, getting the ball on third and three? And by the way, th- that was a left-side run, so you're running you know, towards a backup, again, that left tackle um, uh, with Jermarco Jones when, there. When, so I, I yeah. really cannot figure out that one. When they could have let the quarter expire. They could have gone to the quarter and talked about a very critical third-down play. I think that came right after the blocked field goal. So you, you, you had an opportunity to, to let the quarter expire, as they typically would in that case. Talk about it and come up with the right call. I completely agree with you. What about the funky call at the end of the half or near the end of the half? They line up for a field goal. 
Then they take a delay a game. Then they bring out the putt. That just seemed mismanaged from the beginning. Do you have any sense after talking to Pete Carroll and everybody after the game what happened there? Yeah, his explanation, and I don't think he wanted to, to really throw Jason Myers under, under the bus any more than he had to, but you know, he, he sort of said that um, something was not right there and, and that um, you know Myers, for whatever reason, didn't like what he saw there, and, and, you know, but that he should have taken the timeout instead of taking the delay of game. Remember, that was, I think that was their second uh, offensive possession. So you know, timeouts were not an issue there, and it's not like Myers may have lost track of how many timeouts they had and didn't want to call one that they didn't have. Um, certainly, you would you would take the time out there, burn a time out there, as opposed to you know pushing yourself back five yards when you're already sort of on the borderline of, of field goal range, like they were, and that's why they ended up punting there because that put them out of field goal range. So yeah, you saw Carroll kind of throw his hands up uh, after that, and you saw him have a few words for Jason Myers there, and it sounded like Myers um, should have called the time out there. But you also have to wonder, okay, well Carroll can just as easily call a timeout from the sideline. So so when he saw that Myers was sort of walking towards the sideline. Why didn't Carroll call the timeout there? Mm-hmm. That, that's another head scratcher. I'll ask you a question that's impossible to answer. So that's that's my mo. I'll ask you a question that you you're going to shake your head. Why is he asking me this? Josh Gordon suspended last week. Al Woods suspended last week. It was a tumultuous kind of in between week for them. Do you have any sense that that played a, a factor in all of this that happened over the weekend? Maybe, maybe. I, I, I'm I'm sort of guessing. I, I would guess that that is. Uh, you know, hard to see a teammate, you know, see, you know, uh, losing a teammate like that, um, knowing that what that means for each of those guys individually in terms of, you know, they, they lose a lot of money there when those guys get suspended. And also, you know, you lose important players um, on both sides of the ball there. And, I, you know, look, I would have thought that, and Carol made this point too, that, you know, as much of an impact as Gordon had made, or I, don't, I shouldn't say as much of an impact as he's made, he, he has made some impact, uh, or he did make some impact every game he played. You know, they, they had six wide receivers, seven wide receivers active for that game in Carolina because they like the depth that they have there. And so you would think that that's a position where they could afford to take a hit like that, and, and maybe they can, but, you know, you didn't see that Sunday. Uh, I think they only had a combined three receptions from their wide receivers. A lot of that was because of the protection, I think. But um, you, you expect a lot more from, from that receiver crew just based on the names there and what they've done this season. How about Woods, the, the, the loss of Woods? How much does that hurt, do you think? Yeah, uh, you know, he, is, he, is not a, he, he has not been a starter since Jaron Reed came back, but he is still, um, you know, a pretty important rotational player for them, early down guy, a big run stuffer. For them, and um, you know, it's hard to, to to look at the way Arizona ran the ball in that game and not wonder how much you know not having Al Woods in there uh, made an impact. I think Brian Monet, who they basically called up from their practice squad after Woods' suspension came down, I think he had a penalty in that game, and you know that that's an undrafted rookie player who has not played a ton of football in the NFL. So um, yeah, it's it's I think you could uh, I think those two things are related. Fireside Home Solutions brings you our chat with ESPN.com Seahawks insider. Uh, Brady Henderson, as we get set now for what we were all excited for just about 48, 72 hours ago, it's hard to to be as excited because you kind of feel like even after the Cardinals game and with the injuries, especially to the running backs and the left tackle, that they are really up against it. Uh, Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Football season is fireplace season, of course, at Fireside Home Solutions. Brady, let's just finish here. They got 13 points against an Arizona defense that gives up 29 a game. They got 224 yards at home against an Arizona defense that gives up 413 a game. 
They got 13 first downs against an Arizona defense that gives up 24 a game, and they converted on 8% of their third downs against an Arizona team that gives up 48% third down conversions. And now they turn around, and seven days later on national TV at home, they have to face one of, if not the best defenses in the NFL after they faced one of the worst ones and did nothing against it. Do we just assume that there's just pride here? There's the home field advantage. There's the focus that will come. And yeah, it doesn't matter that it's Travis Homer or it's not Dwayne Brown over there on the left side. The Seahawks will be ready to ready to play and we got to give them a puncher's chance on Sunday night football against the 49ers. Yeah, yeah I mean, you do because they still have, you know, the best quarterback uh, of the two or the better quarterback of the two. Right. And that can go a long way. Right. So, yeah. But that said, you know, obviously running the ball is paramount to what they do offensively in terms of, you know, how much of their passing game is built off of play action. Um, and obviously, you know, Chris Carson has been such a big part of their running game. And, you know, look, for, for all the people who's, who, you know, want to say, you know, running backs don't matter and, and all the people who say, you know, how could you draft a running back early um, and, and that it's basically plug and play. Look, the running back matters, and you saw that Sunday, and, and I think you're going to continue to see that uh, just because there's going to be a drop-off from, from Chris Carson to whoever else is there. Um, and certainly, you know, a, a rookie six-round pick and Travis Homer, who, you know, two weeks ago in Los Angeles, he, remember, he came into that game, he was their number four tailback. And then Rashad Penny went down. Now Carson and Prosize are down. So running the ball matters to the Seahawks, and the running back matters to that running game. Um, and so it, it, for that reason, it gets a tough defense. It's going to be hard, I think, for them to, to beat the 49ers. I'll tell you what, everything that you just said is right, but could you imagine if Travis Homer has a big game on Sunday night in a Seahawks win where they win the division title and he has a, a very productive evening. He could become a legendary figure, Travis Homer, overnight in Seattle Seahawks lore, couldn't he? Yeah, he could. <laughs> he could. Yeah. Yeah. And and if that happens, you can feel free to replay this segment and throw it back in my uh, face. I, I just have a hard time imagining. All right. So the Brady Henderson index says what? percentage chance of them winning on Sunday night. You just said it. They're at home, plus they have the better quarterback in the game. And when you put those two things together, you always got to you always gotta like a team's chance if they've got the best quarterback and the home field advantage. The Seahawks have both. Sure, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that, that, just take a guess and say that they will get at least one of Quandre Diggs uh, or Jadeveon Clowney back, which obviously uh, – Either one of those guys would be, you know, an upgrade over what they have. Just look at that 80-yard touchdown run and the angle that Lano Hill took on that. Oh, uh, that was God. problematic. Oh. So assuming that, that they get Etric at least Pruitt one like. of those guys back. That was Etrick Pruitt-like is what it was. But go ahead. Yeah, oh, that's a great poll there. Yeah. Uh, assuming they get one of those two guys back, I'm going to say 43% oh. chance. Oh, okay. I can, I can play with 43%. That's great. All right. Well, we'll have to and wait that, and see. And that yes. assumes that Russell Wilson carries them to a victory more so than uh, than Tra- whatever running back they have out there. Yeah. What are they going to do? Are they going to sign uh, Robert Turbin or somebody like that? Yeah. So, the, so the report from ESPN Field Yates last week was that they worked out Alfred Blue uh, and Robert Turbin, the former Seahawk, and um, you know a lot of a lot of times teams just work out players on Tuesdays. Not necessarily because there is a need, but because a need might arise, and obviously that need is there. I'm sure a lot of people are going to wonder about Marshawn Lynch. Um, I would not hold my breath on that. Remember, even if they were interested, Marshawn Lynch has to be interested as well. Remember, he the only reason he came out of retirement in 2017 was to play for his hometown team, the Raiders. So even if the Seahawks were potentially interested in that, 
who knows if Marshawn Lynch would be, and who knows if what kind of football shape he's in, uh, you know, after a lot of time out of football. So I would think it's it would be one of those uh, other guys on the free agent market. C.J. Anderson is another guy there. Um, so so maybe one of those guys more so than Marshawn Lynch. Brady Henderson brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions on the Seahawks' miserable weekend. Not only lost a game but lost a lot of players, which makes the next game very much up in the air in jeopardy. Brady, thanks for all that you do on Mitch Unfiltered. Happy holidays to you and your family. We'll talk again on episode 72. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mitch. Happy holidays to you as well. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. The countdown has begun to one of the biggest regular season games in recent memory, the 49ers and the Seahawks, this coming Sunday at CenturyLink Field. As more and more Northwest listeners of Mitch Unfiltered become a tad wiser and spend some time on the phone with Jordan Flowers' team at the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage, they are discovering what executive producer Steve Dion did, that their families have been missing out at saving substantial dollars every month on their mortgage. Yeah, I gave uh, Jordan a buzz in uh, late July. Um, was interested to get a uh, quote on a refi. Um, just the way the market has been with, with interest rates dropping as they have. Kind of tailored a, a mortgage around my preferences. One of the main parts that was appealing was the fact that he was able to cut out my mortgage insurance. Uh, he bought that out completely, um, really consolidated the loan into one clean monthly payment, amortized over a shorter time horizon and at a lower rate. Really easy process. You know, I'm working with Jordan and Christina there. Not not bad for a coog, you know. I I was uh, hesitant to put my uh, put my dollars and cents into uh, the hands of a, a Wazoo grad, but. You know, it all turned out t- turned out well th- thus far. From beginning to end, Steve, how long did it take? It took about a month total. How long was the first phone conversation until you determined what you could save per month? It's about a 15-minute call. When you include the mortgage insurance, how much less are you paying per month now on a percentage basis thanks to the refi with the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage? I'm paying about 8 to 10% less a month. On top of that, uh, we'll be paying for five less years. So it's kind of a win-win on both both sides. So my line on the podcast that you're crazy not to call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with the low interest rates at the moment, just to find out what you could be saving in a refinance is on point. Well, it, it's valid unless you want to spend more money every month. <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> oh, and Mitch, one last thing. Where's my tumbler? <laughs> there it is. Stop standing on the sidelines. Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. Unfiltered. He loves it. has won another President's Cup for the United States. Here he is. He's back from his little business trip. He's back from his little business trip to Australia, the President's Cup. He's the assistant captain, Fred Couples, who, by the way, is also the undefeated captain. What does... What does the assistant captain even do? You have to straighten us out on this, would you please? Hi, Mitch. How are you? <laughs> um, well, 
Well, normally the assistant captain is just like a uh, can I get you a Diet Coke or a sandwich, but when your captain is the player, which it was this year, then you get to do a little bit more. Um, but you know what? I, I walk around with uh, with the players. I like to be close to them. I don't like to bounce around. So, for instance, you know, real quick, the first day was Thursday, and I walked around with Cantley and X-Man, and they lost. And then the second day, I walked the whole match with Webb Simpson and Patrick Reed because I wanted to get a feel for, you know, what was going out what was going on out there with Patrick mm-hmm. and a, a little heckling. And then, the, and then on Saturday, I went 36 holes with Kuchar uh, and Tony Finau. They, they have both matches, and it was unbelievable golf. But I watched every shot they hit. And then Sunday, I did bounce around. I bounced around with most of the early groups, and I watched the first six holes, and then I went and caught them up and saw them on, you know, like holes 10 through 14, and – and then it got pretty exciting. But the assistant captain is just, you know, another body there to to get them sandwiches and towels or whatever they need. <laughs> Be honest. Is there ever a time you're watching some really bad play and you're saying to yourself, I should go out there. I, sh- I, I, I could do a lot better. I could just let me go out there tomorrow. I can go out there and help this team out. I will say this, <laughs> a real quick story. So I'm watching Kuchar and Tony Finau play, and they're playing best ball. And the greens are rock hard, and the greens are really fast, and it's hard to get the ball close. I get all that. But they're not, they're not playing great, nor are they playing bad. They just cannot make a birdie. So the 11th hole is the hole you can drive, and yeah. they lose the hole with pars, and uh, they're both in front of the green with obviously very difficult chips, blah, 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 blah. So now they get to number 12, and both of them miss the green, Fino had a longer shot. Kuchar missed the green with a wedge. Only spot you could go was over the green. Um, and, and so we're going down the 13th hole, and I said, Cooch, you know, you did make a 10-footer for Parler to have the hole, but did you not know they were both over the green? No, no, man, I didn't know they were over the green. You know how he is. He's so happy-go-lucky. <laughs> and I don't really talk to him much. So now Fino and Kuchar both wedge it over the 13th green which is dead and the other two guys are nowhere near the flag but they're 30 40 feet for birdies and so Kuchar chips it up 15 feet and he makes it for par and he's walking off the green and I'm he's smiling and I'm I'm first time really I'm yelling right in his face how bad these shots are what are you doing and he looks at me he goes he looks at me and he says well I made a 15 footer for par I said Cooch I've seen you play three one was a chip shot. You didn't get it up and down. The other one was a wedge. You hit it over the green. And this was a wedge. You hit it over the green. And I said, what are you doing? And I'm screaming at him. And he's just kind of smiling at me. And then they go on and play. And after the round, you know, we were laughing. And he said he loved it. He said, I love when you get mad at me. I just love it. But, you know, <laughs> but that's really one of the first few times. And I was trying to just make a point just to hit the ball a little crisper. Isn't it unreal, Fred, that Tiger is still the best player in the event after all these years and all that he's been through? He goes out there, he wins a couple of doubles matches, takes a day off, wins the singles match right out of the gate on Sunday. Guy is amazing. It's ridiculous. It is, and as assistants, one thing we do 
we we we're, we're, we laugh with each other how how easy he makes it look. And I think if if every PGA Tour event was a match play event, he'd have 820 <laughs> wins instead of 82. I, I, there's something about it, and and he will tell you he just feels like. His game, he, he will wear you out uh, in match play, and I don't really know what it is. For me, you know, I watch it and I go, yeah, he's playing really, really well. He makes every five-foot putt, and uh, it, it's bizarre. But you, you hit it right on the button there. He is amazing. He went 3-0. Uh, you know, he and Justin Thomas had a little stress there on – Boy, Saturday morning maybe or Friday? I don't know. No, he didn't play Saturday. So Friday, and uh, and they end up winning their match. But you know, he he makes it look like he's going to win every single time. Tell everybody the story about him breaking the news to you guys that he's not going to play on the one day when he decided. Uh, we all thought he wasn't going to play in the morning; that he'd play in the afternoon, and then he surprised us all. What happened? Correct. So. Going out on Saturday, there's a team bus leaving at 4.30. And we tried to beg him not to come on that bus because the first tee time was 7.02. What is he going to do there at 5 o'clock till 7? He's going to sit. He's going to have his little coffee. He's going to, you know, relax or whatever. But we just, we tried to tell him, well, you know, he doesn't sleep very well. He's up anyway. So now we go to the first tee. And the first group's going off. And I'm, and... The last time I saw him is when I said, Tiger, it's freezing out here. I can just tell you that you're going to stand with your hands in your pockets. Your shoulders are going to be tight. You're going to get really stiff. So don't sit in your cart. Try and walk around. And in an hour or two, when everyone tees off, go in and and do your routine. So I don't see him. Now fast forward to like 10 o'clock. And uh, we're, we're, we're playing pretty well. We're hanging in there. And on the radio, he says, guys, uh, we need to change. We need to come up with another group uh, for the afternoon. I'm not going to play. <laughs> oh. And so Stricker says immediately, Tiger, are you sure we need you to play? Are you sure? Zach Johnson then says, Tiger, come on, you, you know, get inside right now and, and loosen up. I don't say a word. I, I'm just like. As I said earlier, I, I was like ill to my stomach for two reasons. One, we need a point, and two, I just love watching him play. It's a little selfish, you know, that I wanted him to play. And uh, he goes, guys, I just cannot do it. So w- we made that uh, choice, and uh, that's what we were dealt with, and, and that's what we did. And I think the team responded really, really well to it. I, 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 it happened so quick. On this, on the Saturday matches, and then to the afternoon, that uh, not many people stood around and really worried about it um, because they they knew they were going to play in the afternoon. They were getting ready, and some of the guys were still on the course that were going to play 36 holes. But uh, it just was a weird, weird two-minute, yeah. you know, radio call, and yeah. and no one knew that was coming at all. But at Fre- all. but Fred, when you hear that, you hear Tiger say, "I can't play." Don't you immediately wonder, oh, geez, is he going to be able to play the singles match the next day? That's a great question. Me, personally, I, I carry my phone around because I like to, you know, 
I just like to text other people around instead of talking to them all on, because everyone can hear you with our team on the radio. So some things that I say, I only want Zach and Steve Stricker to hear. So I texted Joey LaCava, and, I, and it wasn't a pretty text. And then he texted me back, huh? And I'm like, Joe, you, you, don't, you don't know? I said, your guy's not playing. And he went, you know, I told him, get in here and get loose and do your daily routine. And he just didn't listen to me. And, you know, I said, well, there's a little more to it. He doesn't feel like his body can respond to anything. And then, you know, after when, when he made that decision and the second, second day started, he said he'd be fine. You know, I'll be fine tomorrow. I just got to do, you know, I got to get in. I got to get worked on tonight. And then Sunday morning, I mean, you know, he, he wanted to go out first. It was a good tea time, I think 10 o'clock maybe. And he was ready and raring. He was on the range hitting it beautifully. Are you, you think we're, we're going to start seeing this moving forward from him as he tries to play, I don't know, 12 or 14, 15 events next year? Do you think this is just the, the reality of the world we live in now, that Tiger is day-to-day in some of these tournaments he's just going to have to walk off and quit? You know, I listen, to, I listen to a lot of the things he says, and some of it is he – when, when he says, well, I'd like to play more, you know, that doesn't mean 22 or 24 events. Um, I think it means 16 or 18 events. And I don't even know how many he played last year. You know, I, after Augusta, if you ask Joe, and when I say Joe, it mean, I mean his caddy, Joe LaCava, you'd think he played twice. You know, he took so much time off. But that was a little different. You know, winning Augusta, I think he just kind of, looked around and said, ah, oh, you know, I, I, I did it. And I won another major. My kids were there. So maybe he took a little breather. But as far as next year, you know, I don't ask him too many personal questions about playing. I know I did say, look, if there's any time you're going to take time off and you're going to really work hard the week before a tournament, I w- I'd love to come to Florida and, and work with you. I just, just, just to be around it. And he goes, you got it. So I'll, you know, I'll at least – I think he'll tell me, and I'll go down and practice with him three or four days and, mm-hmm. and see what he does. But as far as playing next year, you know, I, I, I have a funny feeling he's got some ideas in mind, and you can't play, you know, 12 or 14 times and get into much of a role. I, I think he'll play, you know, 16 times maybe, and if he's feeling really good, he might throw another one in there. But mm-hmm. that's a pretty good schedule, but uh, I don't know what he'll play. What was the whole Patrick Reed thing like from the previous week's incident, the jeering that he got, the caddy thing? Was it like a circus sideshow in Australia, Fred? No, it wasn't a, it wasn't a sideshow. I'll tell you what – I can tell you in a nutshell what happened. So he goes down there, and I did not see it. I, I don't want to name any names that said anything poorly from their team, but there were some T-shirts made up that said USA has a tiger and they have a cheetah. Uh, And the cheetah is a cheater in Patrick Reed. And so I think that was a little harsh. There weren't a thousand of them, but there were a few of them. And uh, I think it was meant to be, you know, funny, which obviously I hope so. And so when he got out there, you know, he was getting heckled a little bit from what happened in the Bahamas. And so on the second round, and I, I love watching Patrick play and, and Webb Simpson, a lot of times, you know, I follow, I follow him in these, in these cups. So I said, Webb, I'm following you guys tomorrow. And it's your typical away game, you know, and they, they don't pick on everyone. As a matter of fact, 
when Cooch walked around, you know, they most of the time he hit a shot, they gave him the old Cooch like he was in America. So I don't think our team was, was getting picked on, but a little bit was, was kind of overflowing from Patrick's group to the next group or the next one. You know, if a ball rolled off a green, they were cheering, and they, if it was very close, they wanted it to roll off into a bunker. And so it, it wasn't anything Patrick did at all. And then, of course, I think he lost his third match, and they were driving in uh, to the chalet or the team room. And it is quite a long drive from wherever you are. And his caddy, you know, hopped off the cart and pushed someone to the ground. And then that opened up a whole can of worms. But I don't think the whole city of Melbourne knew about that. But on Sunday, he went out and played. I watched him because he was second off or third off. I watched him play most of it. And he was pumped up. The crowd was pretty good to him. I mean, it wasn't brutal. And he played great golf and got us a huge you know, huge lead, and, uh, you know, C.T. Pan battled back, but he got six up, and I think the whole team saw that and, and got a little little boost from him. Hold on. Did Couples make the decision that the caddy wasn't allowed to participate? Was that a Couples decision, <laughs> or was that somebody actually, else? <laughs> actually, that was a meeting with the commissioner <laughs> that um, that Tiger went and dealt with, and, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. And, and his name's Kessler. He took it very, very well. Uh, and it wasn't easy, but Patrick's teacher caddied for him. But you know, it, it was a big deal, and I, I think that uh, I think Kessler is going to be better for it. But you know, he he knew you can't you can't put your hands on anyone. Yeah, he was frustrated, but that's that's irrelevant. That's yeah. a that's a bad thing to do, and uh, you know, he paid the price for it, and and he'll go on. Last question: Do you remember getting picked on? In either Ryder Cup or President's Cup play from the the gal, what was the worst you ever heard of Freddie Couples? And then, who got it the worst? I remember Colin Montgomery used to get it from our our side the worst. Who do you who do you remember used to get it? And I want to know what's the worst you ever heard. No one ever gave it to you. Everybody loved you, right? Well, I you know I I tried to, I tried to play golf and I tried to uh, enjoy. You know, the crowds. I think in Spain, the old ole, 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 ole all day long can, can really wear you out. And when I, I mean all day long from the first tee to, to however far you can make it, 16, 17, or 18. But as far as people, I would say on our team, Paul Azinger probably, probably got shellacked the most and, and most of the time it was when he played Seve and they really went out at those two and then on the European side in America it'd probably be Faldo got picked on a little bit but mostly uh, Monty, you're correct, and maybe a little Sergio, but you know you get other guys that Bernard Longer everyone loved and uh, I, think, I think a lot of their players maybe Poulter a little bit but it, it's you know, there's a road game and there's an away game. I mean, a road game and a home game, and you just kind of do your deal. And uh, if you watch a guy like Patrick Reed, you know, he excels in it. But you got 11 other teammates that you don't want the crowd getting too unruly, you know, towards or, or at. And I think the Ryder Cup, uh, you know, it's happened a few times, but it, it's all part of the deal. Give me your college football playoff semifinal picks. Who's going to win the semifinal games, Fred? Well, I'm going to go with the chalk, and I'm going to say LSU and Ohio State are going to play in the championship game, and it's going to be 
727 final with LSU winning. You know you're not taking the chalk because the favorite is Clemson over Ohio State. Did you know that? Well, I, no, I didn't. Yeah. That's Yeah. So, is there something I'm missing here? No, no. Just Clemson's the slight favorite, two and a half point favorite. So you're not really taking the chalk by picking Ohio State. You're actually picking the underdog. Okay, good. So I'll take one <laughs> one dog, Ohio State, and I'll take one one chalk LSU. I'm glad you said that. I thought Ohio State like two weeks ago was was ranked one or two. Yeah, they, that's they how were. much I'm paying attention. They were, they were. They're just the underdog okay, in the game. So, so, so who's going to win the championship game? LSU over Ohio State, or the other way around? No, LSU will win. Okay. The great Fred Couples, we love him so much here, so much here in the Northwest. I wish you, Fred, and your your family down there a happy and healthy holiday and New Year. Can't wait to talk to you in 2020. Thanks so very much. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Happy holidays to everybody. There he is, Fred Couples, just home from Australia in the President's Cup, the assistant captain for Tiger Woods. It's always great to catch up with a Northwest legend. A hearty, happy holidays and a healthy new year from Tyler Hay and his impeccable team at Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Not only has Evergreen been responsibly growing people's money from all over the world for decades, not to mention developing the Evervestment program for those of us that wouldn't be classified as, let's say, high-wealth individuals, but Evergreen Golf Call deeply cares about its Northwest roots despite having offices up and down the West Coast, a charitable pillar in the community, and a major reason why we continue to churn out new episodes of Mitch Unfiltered every single week in fact, we're already up to episode number 71. The title sponsor of our March Madness Pool and our major championship challenge for all expense paid trips doled out in 2019 by the Evergreen team, including the bucket list golfing trip of a lifetime to Pebble Beach. Check them out, evervestment.com, E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T.com and see what Evergreen could do for you. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Turn the corner. Great balance looking for the pylon, and he's got it for a Huskies touchdown. This is never about any one person. It's never about, you know, any one player. It's a team game, and, you know, I should bring all the coaches up, so I should bring out. But, you know, I think the bowl game that we've talked about for a long time, we just, I've always felt so strongly that this bowl game needs to catapult, send the seniors out the right way, and catapult the program forward. And, um, you know, every time that seems like we've won a bowl game, good things have happened that next year. It's just it's the way it's the way you want to end it. Well, it's episode 71. It's time for a holiday visit from our dear friend brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Rick Gerald Neuheisel Jr. He was at one time a bowl hero as a player. He was a, a bowl coach, what, six, seven, eight times. Do I have it right? The 1984 Rose Bowl MVP with the, the blonde hair coming out of the helmet in the back. Do I have that right, Coach? You have that exactly right. That was a great, a great day for uh, the UCLA Bruins as we took uh, to the woodshed the Fighting Illini of Illinois. We uh, beat Jack Trudeau and company 45-9, to nine, Mitch. Ah. 
And then you coached in how many and what was your record and what do you remember? I need a bowl memory. I need a story. I need an anecdote. Our listeners deserve that this holiday season from Rick Neuheisel. What do you have for uh, us? I, I, co- I coached in eight bowl games. Uh, I actually got teams two nine bowl games, but uh, Dan Guerrero, the athletic director at UCLA, <laughs> said, uh, you're, you're no longer needed here. <laughs> so I didn't get to coach in the final one. But uh, and unfortunately, it would have been against those same fighting Illini. They would have oh. gotten the, the, the tip of the blade once again, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't to be. But, uh, you know, there were some uh, bowl games are always a blast. And it's, it's interesting. It's, a, it's an art form in how to make them rewards and how to create an, an energy that everybody's happy to be there and you peak at the important time. Uh, the best bowl memory I have is, of course, the Rose Bowl, which is the granddaddy of them all. And having coached at, uh, at, at Washington and having seen those Washington teams under Don James that went to the Rose Bowl so many times, it was fun to watch uh, and see the success that uh, Coach James had with the dogs. So to take a team myself and go, but uh, Mitch, as you recall, in that year, that was the year we lost Curtis Williams. Right. And right. Curtis was uh, and it got hurt against Stanford in late October of that year. And it was one of those deals where Curtis was, uh, you know, could never return back to Seattle. He uh, was, was in Stanford, so we would fly to see him each and every week. Well, uh, ambulance company helped transport him to the Rose Bowl on that day that we, we beat Drew Brees and the Boilermakers. And to see him in the locker room, to see him enjoying that with his teammates was one of those things I'll never forget. And uh, it was not a dry eye. I mean, because you'd seen what had been taken from Curtis, but to see his, his uh, jubilation in the victory and to see him get a chance to see all his friends again was really, really emotional. Thank you for reminding me of that and, and sharing that with us. Your final record as a Washington coach in bowl games was what? One and? One and three. We had tough losses to Kansas State and Texas in the Holiday Bowl. And then we took on that same uh, uh, Purdue team in uh, El Paso in the Sun Bowl. And despite getting off to a 17 nothing lead, we squandered it and uh, ended up losing uh, to the to the Boilermakers on that uh, day in El Paso. So, yeah, it wasn't like I wanted. And, and you know, like I said, it's it's an art form. We had been – that was the year where we won the, won the Northwest Championship, right? And we won the last three games. <laughs> and if we would have played – if we would have played the la- within the next 10 days, we would have boat raced Purdue. I don't mm. care what uh, Joe Tiller would have done. <laughs> we would have – but when we got there – and all of a sudden, we had a little incident amongst the team that ended up breaking all that great, uh, great uh, harmony that we had in that, those final three weeks of the season. And we just weren't the same when we took the field. It was really unfortunate. But uh, these are the kind of things that coaches have to try to keep monitor of. And I said, if I ever got to do this again, I was never going to let what happened there happen. It, 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 was, it wasn't anything terrible. It was just kind of a ended up where kids were waiting for other kids to get on a bus to come home late at night. And because the Sun Bowl had only one bus for the whole team, they got into an altercation, uh, teammates against teammates, that cost our team. It just uh, it was too bad. I used to argue with a buddy about PGA golfers. Would you rather win 
12 times on the PGA Tour and no majors, or would you rather win one major and no other events on the PGA Tour? How, how many, in other words, how many PGA Tour regular events would it take before you would cash in your major? That's kind of the feeling I'm getting with you and your Rose Bowl. Your Rose Bowl was worth... You say you were one and three, but you were really like twelve and three, weren't you? Doesn't it? Don't you get eleven? <laughs> eleven times a victory of a regular bowl game, right? Well, let let me just say this to you: uh, when you go down to Pasadena, they have what they call the Hall of Champions, uh-huh. and on that wall, forever affixed to the granddaddy of them all, is a little plaque that says Washington thirty-four, Purdue twenty-four, and it has my name on it, has Marcus Tuiasosopo's name on it, and that's a memory forever. That that forever for every college football fan that goes to see the shrine that is the granddaddy, they're going to see me, mm. and they're going to see uh, the Washington Huskies in 2001 as the Rose Bowl champions. And for that, you know, I, I think it is worth way more than a lot of the others. And that's not a knock on the Cherubundi Boca Raton Bowl, <laughs> but. I don't know that they they, they have the same uh, uh, sign affixed to the stadium. I just don't think they do. And is there is there one person in the Boca Raton Bowl who was both an MVP as a player and as a <laughs> and the winning coach of the Boca Raton Bowl, or no? Is that not the case? See, see, I don't, I don't know that. And uh, but I'm going to go through some uh, some real study tonight to see if that's the case. But uh, I still, to this day, am the only guy to have been the MVP in the game and and the winning yeah, head coach. So. Yeah. That makes the granddaddy pretty fun for and, me, and, and I'm looking forward to it again this year. And, and help me out because I don't really follow it very closely. Whatever happened to that other guy that was the quarterback of that Purdue team that you beat in, in the Rose Bowl? Did anything ever become of him? He only went 29 for 30 last week <laughs> uh, is, is the number that I think. Yeah, that guy was pretty good. He ended up – you know in one of the games, we obviously you do a thorough scout when you're going through an uh, entire season getting ready for a bowl game. Uh, he in one game for Purdue that year, and by the way, Jim Cheney was his offensive coordinator. Jim Cheney is still coaching, and he is the wow. offensive coordinator now for Tennessee, having been recently the offensive coordinator for Georgia uh, in that uh, Rose Bowl game where uh, uh, they ended up beating Oklahoma in that overtime thriller, fifty-four to forty-eight. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Cheney was his coach in one of the games. Breeze through eighty-two passes, wow. eighty-two. So the guy's arm is uh, well affixed to the shoulder because he's still going. And so all those bowl memories that you have both as now a player and a coach, and you remember them so vividly because you just shared some of the stories with us. When you when you pick up the newspaper or you get online and you read the stories about all these players that are going to be in the NFL draft that have decided to skip the bowl game either for fear of injury or they want to prepare for the NFL draft. What goes through your mind? Because I know, and we spoke about this on the episode uh, in other segments that you're not on. I was asked about this, and I I remember vividly because I was a Miami Hurricane fan for a long time. I remember the story of Melvin Bratton. Do you remember Melvin Bratton, the running back at Miami? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Or number five, right. didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Against Oklahoma, he was he was he promised to be a top five or ten pick, had a terrible catastrophic knee injury. He was never the same. His NFL career was out the window in that bowl game against Oklahoma. What 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 goes through your mind when you hear of these players that decide not to play? I totally understand it. Uh, you know, we had uh, Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette uh choose to do that just a few years ago and there were a lot of people upset at at them and i said 
and I'll say it today, I could never do it. I want to play. I mean, I know the journey that is the road to one of these bowl games, especially, you know, prestigious bowl games. And uh, I know that given an opportunity to play one more time with my teammates, I'm going to do it. I just am going to. Now, I didn't play running back. I don't know what kind of toll it takes on a body like McCaffrey and Fournette, certainly no. And both of them were drafted in the top 10 that year. I think Fournette went fourth and McCaffrey went eighth. Uh, So it makes sense. And I certainly understand the business decision. And how are we going to get upset at players for making a business decision when we certainly watch coaches do it all the time? You know, uh, Mike Norvell is not going to coach his Memphis team in the Cotton Bowl. He's at Florida State putting together a recruiting class and coaching staff and all the different things that go along with a new job. So I totally get it. I just wish we did better. I think college football deserves to do better Mm -hmm. in terms of allowing uh, the season to conclude, coaches to finish with their teams, players to finish with their teammates, and uh, we, we could get to the end of the season and still have plenty of time for the other stuff. But I totally understand those first-rounders wanting to uh, take care of uh, their bodies. The voice of Rick Neuheisel, who has been with us week after week after week during the college football season, thanks to our friends John and his staff at Fireside Home Solutions. Whether it's fireplaces or garage doors or fancy barbecue setups, start your search with Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. i got to get your official picks for the two semifinal games, but before I do that, let's play a little game. Let's say there's somebody in our audience, Rick, who uh, is allowed by the spouse to watch one college football bowl game outside of, let's say, the two playoff games and the the Harbaugh-Nick Saban game. Let's put those aside. You're not allowed to pick one of those three. You have to pick one game, any game. And he says, I want to watch the game that Rick Neuheisel tells me will be the most fun to watch. Which game would it be? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say the Gator Bowl with Indiana and Tennessee. Really? Uh, Indiana 8-4, and four, Tennessee 7-5, and five, and here's the reason. Both of those teams are going to be thrilled to be there because Indiana's never been to Florida in a bowl game, ever. Wow. They're a Big Ten team. Big Ten teams have been going to Florida for the Orange Bowl or – Outback Bowl or Boca Raton Bowl. Bowl. It used to be the Cherubundi <laughs> Boca Raton Bowl. They, they've been going for years and years. Indiana's never been on that trip. Yeah, They get to do that this year. Tom Allen just got a new deal. That's going to be an exciting Hoosier team that's going to get to play there against a team that began the season with losses to Georgia State and to BYU. And everybody was on uh, Jeremy Pruitt's uh you know, back saying that he wasn't the right choice. Philip Fulmer, the athletic director, kind of stuck with him. And they've built a team that is going to be excited as they can be to be playing in that bowl game. So I think when you look at the two brands, the two teams, and where they're going and the excitement about being there, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. All right. Did I see where 
the college football playoff games are actually before many of the bowl games. I, I don't understand that. There's something wrong. There should be an undercard <laughs> and then a main event. It, it was since when did Muhammad Ali come out and fight in the first fight at Madison Square Garden? You and I are both from an era where stars close the show, right? right. Frank Sinatra's not the warm-up act. He comes out <laughs> after we've heard a couple of singers. I totally agree. I think the college football people have screwed this one up horrendously. Mm -hmm. January 1st should be the day for the playoff games. On years where it's not including the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl keeps its time. You have a game before the Rose and a game after. There's nothing sacred in my mind about the Sugar Bowl, and that's not to denigrate the Sugar Bowl. It's a lovely bowl game. But it needs to move aside. And those games should be in the days leading up. But January 1 should always be the date of our playoff games leading up. And then the following Monday, whatever that is, uh, should be the uh, national championship game. Uh, Unfortunately, my committee of one has not been heard. (laughs) And I'll just continue. I I will continue to bang the drum for that until it uh, it gets to the necessary ears. But uh, I'm with you. I I hate that we play these games and actually have other games after because it seems so uh, after the fact. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. The last time you and I visited on this very program, you made a comment when I told you that Clemson was a favorite over Ohio State. I think you said to me something along the lines of, by the time they play the game, that will flip-flop. Ohio State will be the favorite. I think you said that, unless it was the other way around. Uh, it, it hasn't changed. Clemson is still a favorite over Ohio State. Do you still feel that way, or did you did you never did I get that wrong and you never felt that way? You know, I, I thought it would always be really close, okay. uh, within two points. I don't think it'll ever get to a field goal. It, it, it's listen. There are some difference makers in this game, and the question is going to come down to which difference makers make the biggest difference. That, how's that for a real <laughs> prognostication? Uh, Justin Fields is the difference maker uh, at Ohio State. Talking offense, he his legs can be a difference. And given the amount of time to get ready for this game, Ryan Day and his offensive brain trust can find ways to incorporate his legs that uh, will not have been the norm for the Brent Venables defense. Brent Venables, the defense coordinator for Clemson. On Clemson's side, we all know about Trevor Lawrence and and Travis Etienne uh, and understand that those guys are special players, and they are. But the guy who's the difference maker, and I actually will say two, are the two big-time wide receivers, T. Higgins and Justin Ross. And when I say big-times, I mean both physically and from a uh, skill standpoint. These guys are large guys they're six four six five guys so they're the kind of receivers that we look at in the nfl and say they're open even when they're covered the julio jones type player and so t higgins can be a difference maker in this game he's been a difference maker in almost all their big games you go back to the to the game against notre dame in the playoff a year ago you go back to watch justin ross in the in the championship game against uh, alabama they put up monster numbers and trevor lawrence at six five sits there and puts the ball up where only these skyscrapers can get it. So Jeffrey Okuda and that Buckeye defense have got to make plays on that ball and keep that from happening in this game to keep Clemson in check. So that, that, those are the playmakers. Uh, fields on the Buckeyes and his legs, how many yards rushing? If he goes over 70 yards rushing, Ohio State would be a five-point favorite for me. If you you tell me that T. Higgins and Justin Ross are each going to have five catches and uh, between 80 and 120, 
I'm making them the five-point deal. So it's it's keeping those guys in check is the defense's uh, marching orders. So what do I do if I'm in Vegas? What do I do, Rick? If, you, if you're in Vegas, you decide, do you like that Davo Sweeney whines about <laughs> uh, his team starting the season at number one and finishing at number three despite winning every game? Then do you, or do you pr- appreciate Dabo only when he sounds like he's from the Mayberry Show, the Andy Griffith Show, and you can hear him whistling as he carries his fishing pole on the along the dirt road? If you, you like Dabo only in the whistling mode, then you go Ohio State. If you think that he has a right to whine, then you go Clemson because that is exactly the motivation they're using to beat Ohio State. You didn't give me a pick then. I I'm I told you I don't like it when he whines. I'm going Ohio State. Okay. You're going. You're taking the points. Going Ohio State. I'm, I in the am taking the points. Right. I'm going Ohio State. Uh, I know that I'm going against a very good football team, and I, I appreciate all that they've done. And if they win the championship, I would not, in the least bit, be shocked. But right now, I don't like the fact that they're acting like they've really, really had to go through a gauntlet because they haven't. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest path of, in all of college football mm-hmm. to get to the, the championship via the ACC. Do I take 14 points, two touchdowns with Oklahoma in the other game, or do I lay the lumber with LSU? I go the under in that game. Oh. I think the defenses are not being given enough credit. I think that number is like 75 or 76. I think the defenses – uh, with Alex Grinch in tow, uh, the former Ohio State, former Washington State uh, defensive coordinator, uh, is going to do a nice job of trying to come up with some things to confuse Burrow. Uh, and I think also that uh, you're, you're seeing a resurgence of LSU de- defense. The last two games, they gave up only uh, 17 points combined against Texas A&M and Georgia. So I think uh, – you're going to see some better defense. I still think LSU wins. I won't be surprised if they win exactly by 14, 17. I think they're the better team, but I think that it'll be lower scoring. Give me a thought or two before you go on the Washington win in the uh, the Vegas Bowl, the final, the final act, the final stanza for Coach Peterson, at least for now. They win easy over a Boise State that I think was out. Man, I, I can't believe Boise State was even 19th ranked. And kind of segue into the, the decisions that Jimmy Lake has already made to fire some of his staff. Yeah, it, it, it's understandable. You know, Jimmy, as the defense coordinator, was probably – when you're the head coach, you deal with your coordinators like they're your sons, right? because they all want something for their side of the ball. And so when you make a decision, when you give something to one side of the ball, the other side of the ball sits there and go, you like him more, you love him more, and that kind of stuff. So when one becomes the head coach, it's hard for the other to stay on the same staff. It's, just, it's, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, and it doesn't mean either one of them is a bad guy. It uh, doesn't mean that they were hostile against one another. It's just, you know, wanting to get us started on your own deal. So I, it makes all the sense in the world. I thought it was a wonderful performance by the Huskies. I will tell you, though, watching Jacob Eason, he needs to stay in. I know he's got the NFL body and all that kind of stuff, but he needs a lot of seasoning in terms of his footwork. And this is the first game I really got to watch him. He is not ready. He needs uh, somebody coaching that guy to get those feet right so that he doesn't panic as he goes from target to target. Uh, if I were talking to him, I would beg him to stay in and, and uh, get his feet right because there's no question he is the uber-talented guy but not ready at this time. We'll wait and see what takes place, but uh, Jimmy Lake has got to be giddy about uh, 
getting a chance to have the keys to a program like the University of Washington. You don't think Jacob Eason will hear you or hear somebody and stay? I mean, he's going to hear one person. Maybe it's the right guy. Maybe it's the wrong guy. Whisper in his ear, first-round pick, second-round pick. Look at how old you are. You already lost a year. He's going to hear all those things, and he's got a new head coach. I don't know. I've just kind of written him off that he's going to the NFL. I hear what you're saying about him needing to come back. Totally understandable if he does. Totally understandable if he does. I just think it's a mistake because I think given some real coaching, and this is not to knock those who were not coaching him, I just think somebody was really paying attention to his feet. I think you can get that guy to the top one, two, or three in the draft given the the, the – traits that he does possess right now i would say he's probably you know a late first uh and maybe falls to the second and i think that's a lot of money to leave behind especially if you're enjoying college football because i think uh, playing quarterback at washington is a heck of a deal let's talk on episode 72 we'll have two championship teams two teams ready for the national championship of college football and we'll see if you're right about it being ohio state and lsu thanks so very much appreciate your time very much Who's better than you, Mitch? Take care, my friend. (laughs) Happy holidays, Coach. See you, buddy. Bye. Our man Rick Neuheisel on the end of the Chris Peterson era at the University of Washington and the beginning of the college football playoffs coming up this week. 2019 was a wonderful year for me and my family. The growth and momentum of Mitch Unfiltered has me both proud and touched to have partners Like all of the employees at 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza means the world to me. I started the year by watching the Super Bowl in February at the then new Capitol Hill location. And on Sunday, I basically finished the year at the Kirkland Zeke's Pizza, one of my faves for the Hawks Cardinals game. In between, there were Pac-12 tournament viewings in Bothell, NCAA tournament games at the new Tacoma Zeke's, Seahawks contest at Zeke's Linwood, the Pac-12 football championship at the newest Woodenville spot, which is spectacular. And of course, the Levy family March Madness pool at Zeke's Bellevue. I guess what I'm trying to say is that Zeke's Pizza is much more than a sponsor. It's a partner, a place that I choose, my family chooses when we want to watch a sporting event while enjoying some awesome Northwest pizza with a selection of craft beer that makes other restaurants envious. A happy and healthy new year from Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I'm very, very happy that Star Wars has released a brand new movie for one reason and one reason only. Not because I'm excited to go see it. Because if we're going to have a brand new Star Wars movie, then that means I get another visit from my favorite regular guest. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, movie mogul Max. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going <laughs> I was going to talk about how my dad would even see an Avengers movie over Star Wars. Anything but Star Wars. Anything he but Star walked Wars. Walked out of Star Wars. The last Star Wars that I saw was the second one that was ever made. Empire Strikes Back. Is that the one? Episode five. And yes. I walked right and I walked out of it. I saw the whole first one, didn't understand one thing. I was a kid. It was what, nineteen seventy something? I don't know, 1970-something. I went to the first one as a kid, didn't understand it. And then everybody was going to the second one, so I said, okay, I'll go to the second one too. And about halfway through, out I went. Not, I don't even think I got to halfway. And it might be the only movie ever that I've ever walked out of. Ladies I don't think I've walked out of a this movie is, since. This is Empire Strikes Back, one of the best Star Wars movies ever made. And here he is walking out. 
<laughs> I don't, tells you what I think about sci-fi. What do you call it? What's yeah. the genre? It's sci-fi. sci-fi. It's sci-fi. It's okay. sci-fi. But well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm here to talk about Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, I recommend going to watch it, coming back and listening, skipping to the next segment, come back and listen to it because it's impossible for me to truly unpack everything that happens in the movie without spoiling it. So again, if you don't want spoilers, come back and listen. Skip to the next segment. What if there are people listening that haven't decided whether they're going to see it yet and they want to listen to me, you to all right. help them make their decision on whether they're going to go to the movie theater or not? I would say if you've already <laughs> seen Star Wars movies, go watch it. Everyone's going to have their own opinion. Yeah. And as I'm going to bring up in more detail, this is going to be yeah. a long one. This is going to be a long one. No, it's not, not well, going to be there's a, a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack with with this movie. And as I'm going to bring up later and emphasize that the 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 sequels and yeah. the, it's a new knology a new knology is is a, is a trilogy of trilogies right they created the main series saga first the ones that came out when you were a kid then they created the prequels and now they created the sequels okay so it's a trilogy of trilogies which is a, which is a new knology does that and make this the ninth one this makes this the been... ninth and final installment in the skywalker saga over. star wars is over you wish we can put star wars oh, you, to bed so let me you you know that milk disney <laughs> will never stop milking this cow i know so so the star wars the main story they're going to do spin-offs and they're going to have their own new stuff but everything involved Luke Skywalker and Princess yeah. Leia, the names that you know as a casual guy who walked out of a Star Wars movie, yes. even you know Luke Skywalker. I know the name. Luke. I know the name Luke Skywalker. You know Luke Skywalker. You know yeah. Leia Skywalker. Play, play, you know Han yeah. Solo, Mark Hamill, yeah. Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Are they Their still, story, they still, I think they're dead. Are they still in these movies? I'm, I'm getting there. Yes. They're all <laughs> technically, technically, as of well, the end of this movie, they're all dead. That's it. That's it. Harrison Ford died in the first one. A Force Awakens, the Force Awakens back yeah. in 2015. Yeah, Luke Skywalker met his met his doom in the second one, The yeah. Last Jedi. Yeah, and Carrie Fisher, who had already passed away, so everyone, most people knew that, they that right Princess Leia. Speech. They yeah, she she died in the third one. So now, before you give this review, I need a review. I need you to review this segment that where you're going to review the uh, the Star Wars deal. Yeah. Yeah. I need I need you. Is this going to be more or less interesting than a Mr. Postseason segment? <laughs> Depends on whether you like the Seahawks or Star Wars more. But um, I think it will be interesting. People are very down on this movie. Are they yeah, not? People, I'm, I have a lot to say about okay. about okay. this movie. And yes, right. these movies have been very controversial. These sequels. Why? Because either people have loved them yeah. or people have hated them. But this one people hate. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes. I'm I mean, getting there. I'm getting there. So <laughs> people don't like this one. Let me. There's, what about you? Let me put. Well, I need to describe the two types of Star Wars fans at this point. Okay. And you can fall in. You could be a mix of these two. There's two spectrums here. All right, Max. You can be an older fan who wants to see Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. They want to see their Darth the kid, Vader. They want to see the character. Well, Darth Vader's not coming back. He's dead. Okay. I didn't the know. The characters. For example, I'm gonna. We're gonna talk. If you watch the trailer, you know that Emperor Palpatine, the main villain from the original trilogy makes a return a last second they edited the script they fired the director this movie they fired disney fired the original director jj abrams he's the new director okay they brought him in because he directed the first one he directed the force awakens yeah and he brought back emperor palpatine who wasn't originally part of the story and they brought him back. He's an old character. I don't know who you're talking about. The, the so point continue. is, there's I'll old school listen. fans who <laughs> I want, don't know what you're talking there's about. Old, <laughs> there's old school fans who want classical reference. They want references to the past. They want references to Star Wars. They want to see yeah. Lando. They yeah. want to see. They want connections to yes. the ones that we grew up with. Okay, and then there's it. some other fans who say, "Well, yes, but you're not opening up any new stories." 
I see. See, the main character played by Daisy Ridley is Rey. She's she's a Jedi. She's the new Jedi. And there's two schools of thought. She could be related to one of the older Jedis, which would bring everybody, all the old school fans, happiness because they could say, oh, she's Emperor Palpatine's granddaughter or she's mm-hmm. Luke's daughter. Mm-hmm. Or she could be unrelated to them, opening up new story opportunities to build upon. And that's kind of where the I, issue. this move, yeah. So how do they appease where, some where, fans? Where are you? Like, you're not an old school guy. So I, you don't give a rat's ass well, about Mark Hamill and Carrie No, that's, that's not, I, I say I'm in the middle, but leaning towards new. I li- I appreciate the older, I appreciate the appearances by Han Solo, and I appreciate that, but not to the point where the movie is just milking the old characters. Uh-huh. You is need that to, what this did? Kind of, yeah. Oh. That's the issue. I honestly, if I if you asked me and people uh, to rank the nine Star Wars movies. Yeah, this would be the worst. This would rank second to last. Nothing will ever be worse than The Phantom Menace. And Which you one were, was the, I don't even know. That was the first of the prequels. The first of the ones made in 2000 with Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. That one was horrible. Was and amazing. yet they kept on making them, even as bad as that one because was. Because as bad as they are, they still so bring in so amount. much money. I got the stats for you. You want the stats? One hundred and seventy-six million for this show over the weekend domestically here in the United it's States. It's crazy. Three hundred and seventy-four million globally in the first weekend, despite all the poor reviews. It's third amongst the three, the most recent three in terms of dollars amount, and. Um, do you know of some sort of a show that's on the web or something? I watch some it. TV? I watch The Mandalorian. Yes, yeah, so I watch some, it. Some, one of the actors said, and I quote, Rise of Skywalker was hands down the worst Star Wars movie. It's absolutely effing a failure. There were more plot holes and there was a plot. The amount of by the ways was absolutely infuriating. Rise of Skywalker, by the way, dumbass title, was worse than Phantom Menace and Last Jedi combined. Fight me. I disagree with that. I disagree with that because I like The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi is the second installment. Now, the interesting thing with Last Jedi is The Force Awakens, which was directed by J.J. Abrams, was very similar. It was very similar to this one in the fact that they used a lot of the older characters. Carrie Fisher... Uh, they were trying to find Luke Skywalker. It was all about con- reconnecting with older characters. Chewbacca, all these characters are in it, which is fine because they're kind of bridging the gap between the new movies and the old movies with this episode, which was okay. And I liked Force Awakens. It was it was a decent Star Wars movie. The Last Jedi did something different. They kind of stranded because you know Star Wars is the classic story. The original are good versus evil. You have Darth Vader, I clearly evil. Luke Skywalker, clearly good. They're even wearing white and black. It's 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 like. Okay. Right down the middle. Right. Star Wars: The Last Jedi explored the gray area between it. And you like it that. showed? Well, yeah, it showed how characters like Ben Solo or Kylo Ren, played by Adam Driver, he's he's big in these movies. And I, I can't blame the acting. Just on a side note, the acting. I'm. It's the plot. It's the plot. It's, it's, it's the writing. Yes, that is the issue. The issue has is always li- been. I know you're going to get mad at me for interrupting, but is the little silver guy and the big gold guy are they still of it? R two D two and C three PO. Are they still in? They're these still movies? around. They're in the movie. Yeah, they're robots. They got no reason to kill them off. <laughs> but they're in the movie. They're in the movie. Oh, they're still in the movie. So How about the big furry guy. Is he's he in, in the, the movie? movie. Okay. He almost died. Oh, he's sweet. He, didn't he hang out with Harrison Ford driving yes, the plane? Yes, he did. He plane? did. Okay. So right. okay. So in in, to, in, in total, it's what, always where are the you plot. on this? No, it, it, it's. I mean, it's Star. You got to see it. It's Star Wars. You got to see it because it's. But yeah. it's going to leave you disappointed with what you expected, and the issue is the directors. Disney doesn't want to take big chances. They say to these guys, they don't like. They didn't bring Ryan Johnson, the director 
of Star Wars: The Last Jedi back because he did too much. He had too much creative license. He explored that dark, that that gray area where Kylo Ren, the the bad guy from Force Awakens, yeah. is suddenly like, is he bad? Is he good? There's a scene where he teams up with Rey, the main yeah. good guy. Yeah. There's a scene where they're fighting. It's not clear who's on what side. Let's see, but. They go and then they revert back to it. It's almost as if they kind of undid everything they did in the previous movie. Is it possible? And as you sit here, right behind you is a Star Wars poster. Is it possible that Star Wars fans, I think by the numbers, you're going to say that this is true. Star Wars fans are going to go to this regardless of what you or anybody else writes or says about it. And by hearing all of these naysayers, like it's not as good as you think it's going to be, or the actor saying it's a turd and all these people saying it's no good. What's going to happen is these people are still going to go anyway because they're Star Wars fans and it's bringing down their expectations. Now they're going to go into the theater after hearing you and reading all of these negativity, all this negativity they're actually going to have lower expectations and actually in some ways enjoy it more it that's, might it might get over the ball that's a psychology question i can't <laughs> answer that i'm not here for that i'm not here for that but um all right so this is the the second the you've seen them all many times the second worst just because they do too much and okay. i ha, i was on in friday on friday at school there were people who had already seen it i didn't see it until friday night what time but, on friday night did you see it what time did it start uh, it practically started at, on Saturday morning. What time did it start? Twelve fifteen. And what time did it end? Two thirty four. And what? <laughs> and what time did you get home? Two forty five. You officially have the coolest dad. I don't know who he is. You have the coolest dad on the face of the earth. The coolest dad would li- be happy living, knowing that he's the coolest dad, making, not making sure everybody else knew. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. But uh, okay, but, everybody at school had seen a lot of people and, at school had seen and the best. Like it's the best way I've heard it described. Okay. The best way to describe this movie in one sentence was yeah. my, was one of my teachers actually. Really? They said what, it's, what course? Uh, business law. Okay. Yeah. They Don't said. Whisper. They said <laughs> it's six hours of plot in two hours of movie, which I agree with, and that's a big issue with the movie. Is that good or bad? That's a bad, bad, thing. horrible. It's a horrible thing, because. They're trying to please everyone, and while they did a little bit of pleasing everyone, okay. you go, like, you have these moments where you think the final battle, they got Emperor Palpatine in his chair, he's got Force Lightning, you have Rey with the lightsaber. I don't know. The final battle ends in five minutes. There should be more conflict. She finds out she's related to this big bad villain, and there's like, and it's like, will she kill him? Will she not kill him? Is that what he wants? Is that what the Force needs? It's over in five minutes. There should be more conflict building, but it's because they rush, 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 rush. It's like, look. Because they're trying to do too many things yes, in one show. The A, bo- the a plot and the B plot You're had their own. you about this, Max. The A plot. So, you know, movies have A plots, B plots. A plot is all the heroes try scrambling, trying to find B plot here is the bad guy trying to hunt them down. Yeah. And and the and I guess the C plot is kind of the, re- the remaining resistance forces battling the big ships. It's a big space battle. It's like there's subplots within the subplots. They have so much going on. I got it. Where it's like they crash land and they're like, we're trapped. And then Lando Calrissian shows up for like half a second. And then there's suddenly there's a ship there. Oh, look, there's a ship. They landed like two minutes ago. It's just. Okay. So movie mogul Mac says, if you're a Star Wars fan, go see it. But don't expect to love it. Don't expect it to okay. be everything you want it to be. Okay. Now that the segment is over. I, got, I just got to tell you, I had a really hard time concentrating during this segment because it's not every day that a guy wearing a Michael Dixon jersey is telling me about Star Wars. You're actually sitting there in a Michael Dixon jersey. <laughs> of all the Seahawks, you're sitting there in a Michael Dixon jersey. What kind of a knucklehead parent would get their kid a Michael Dixon jersey? 
I don't know. <laughs> what type of parent would get their kid a Michael Dixon jersey? That's a good question. The kind of parent who's probably there was a list at one point. I want a Michael Dixon oh, jersey. Oh, oh, sure. Why did you Put it on the kid. Why? Put it on the kid, eh? Shh. It's not you, me. Why did you want a Michael Dixon jersey? Rem- refresh my memory on that. I think my logic was that punters <laughs> usually stick around for a while. Punters oh, and kickers have longevity. If, long they're, ge- good. if, if they're, they're good, they have longevity. Look at guys if like Adam Vinatieri. He sticks around a while. You get lots of use out of that. Think about this. If I got Bobby Wagner, he'll be gone in three years. No, he's not. He's going to be here his whole career. That's number one. Number yes, two. but he's already for almost every, 30 years for old. For every Vinatieri, by the way, there's, there, there's 10 guys that are week to week that go from team to team. Are you out of your mind? Yeah, but are those 10 guys all pro kickers or, or pro bowl I'm kickers? I'm sure that your buddy Michael Dixon pro, is a pro bowl kicker anymore. Pro bowl punter. He's not. He was never Look a pro bowl you. kicker. You're doing a Star Wars analysis in a Michael Dixon jersey. At least you... <laughs> At least that. you, at least that. you understand understood one thing from the review, and that's the jersey. You didn't understand anything from the review. I don't, I don't get the movie. Give, I, and here give I, my dad a content here, quiz on the, on the I review. I thought you were going to sit here and review Bombshell, the Fox News, Roger Ailes, Megyn Kelly. Why don't story. you review Bombshell? Talk about it. Yeah, Let's I hear. I will. No, we don't have time. Oh, on another episode. This is a time. very big episode. The big show. It's a big episode number seventy one. Okay. Who do you think we should name the show after? Me. <laughs> well, it's not number 71. four. <laughs> I don't know any 71. You, yeah, you do. The greatest left tackle of all time. Played for the Seahawks. Uh, um, Walter Jones? Yeah, you. Okay, yeah, good. Are, I was are you, scared. Are you, are you I was, I whispering was, that? Are you? No, I'm are just you? not sure he wore 71. <laughs> it's a good thing he this airs after, after the pizza thing because uh, I would get burned. Thank you, Movie Mogul Max. Thank you. No problem. I'll be back in time. Movie mogul Max, all fired up about the new rendition of Star Wars. It's not for me, that's for sure. This whole Mitch Unfiltered podcast experience has been beyond humbling for many reasons, from the obvious of trying to rebound and get up with accountability and some level of dignity to the not-so-obvious of companies like John Waterstrot's Fireside Home Solutions summoning me to their Bellevue flagship location to tell me how eager they are to partner up with Unfiltered during the football season. Peter King, Brady Henderson, Rick Neuheisel, Jason Lockenfora, and more, the voices that have brought expertise, information, and downright fun to this show are all thanks to Fireside Home Solutions. Every time I drive into my neighborhood and I see a Fireside Home Solutions van sitting in a driveway, which, by the way, has happened several times in the last couple of months, a big smile comes to my face. Whether it's a new energy-efficient fireplace this winter, a new set of garage doors, or even a high-end barbecue setup, the first call you should make, Fireside Home Solutions, or just dial them up at firesidehomesolutions.com. They'll come to your home Work out the perfect plan for you. Happy holidays from Fireside Home Solutions. Unfiltered. Episode 71, final segment, the other stuff segment. We'll give an Athlete of the Week award or, you know, check off the list some some holiday so we'll do some holiday shopping on the uh, on the sports list. Thanks to guests Freddie Couples, Rick Neuheisel, Brady Henderson, movie mogul Max on the Star Wars. He didn't like it, didn't like it at all. Yeah. Didn't like it at all. Mr. Playoffs, you asked me as we got ready for this uh, this fourth and final segment or fifth <laughs> yeah. and final segment. What, what was the question you asked? Whatever happened to Thomas Rawls? Is Thomas Rawls available? Wasn't he like the Let's next? Let's start bringing up. 
It's Dr. Dan Dornick. <laughs> you remember Dan Dornick? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wazoo Cougar Dan Dornick. Yeah, I mean. Is Colin Bryant available? <laughs> Sam McCollum? How about Sherman Smith? Is Sherman Smith available? John L. Smith? Oh, John Florida? L. Williams. Oh, what did I say? John L. John L. Smith, I think, sells homes. Oh, real estate? No, John, John L. Williams. Was he like Florida. a Florida State? Yeah, he was kind of a, no, University of Florida. Oh, okay. He was kind of a hybrid fullback, halfback. Yeah. Like to catch the ball out of the back. Yeah, he was yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Any Where's, of those guys to. Sean Alexander, my favorite. Oh, Seahawks. God. Where is he? I mean, the Seahawks did bring in Mo Franco. Morris. They brought, <laughs> the Seah- oh, I heard the name Robert Turbin on the postgame oh, yeah, show. Yo, Turbin was here last week. That's actually a serious. I'm not okay. joking around on that. 23 year old Robert Turbin didn't do much for me. Yeah, I think they called him the Incredible Hulk. I think he was a big Incredible Hulk fan, like a Lou Ferrigno fan. Yeah, he was here just, you know, working out, trying oh. out. So may- he might be the one. By the time people are listening to this, you might you might be back with the Robert Turbin era. I don't know. How, oh, I know who my favorite guy, Kristen Michael. Oh yeah, what's he up to? <laughs> Let's get him back. <laughs> How excited are we now? Come on, Green. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I have his business card. I can call him. Call him. Let's call him. Well, you better send it over to Schneider. He may need the business. Card. I mean, Amon Green looks like he can play still. He's humongous. Let's call him. Are they going to have an open tryout? How does this work? You can go. You look good. Thank you. I have lost some weight. I th- thank you for noticing. <laughs> I'm almost to my high school weight. I can you play and running your salad back. Salad at uh, at Zeke's in Kirkland. Well, I gave in and had a couple slices of pizza. No, I, you didn't. I have ate a the, couple. I, Did you have a couple? Yeah, I ate the crust. It was so good. God, it's good. You didn't eat the. T- I thought you would eat the toppings, well, and not the crust. I thought it was the other way around. Well, I happened to eat the crust. I haven't had a slice of pizza in like a year. <laughs> what am I gonna do? There's like pizza sitting right next to me the entire game. Do you have anything to say? I, 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 I Husky fans were mad at me on Saturday night. Why is that? Did you watch the game? Of course. Okay. I watched the game. I sat and watched the game. I, I watched both games, the Rams and the 49ers, and I saw two third and 16s that the Rams defense couldn't come through on either one of them. Brutal. One one of them because of your Husky f- friend, Taylor Rapp. That's right. The blown oh my coverage. God. Where yeah. was he? Who was he? He was covering somebody that didn't exist. I, I, don't, I don't know if he saw like ghosts or something. Yeah. I saw him. He cut to the sidelines. I was like, there's nobody over there. There's nobody over there. There's people on the sidelines, but they're God. ineligible. They're off the field. They're he, not. <laughs> he's had a good year too. I mean, I guess he has. He's been playing well. Yeah. Disaster. I, I watched the Huskies dominate Boise State, and I I sent the text or I sent the tweet out uh, after the game asking if it was lipstick on a pig. Why is that? You've heard the you've heard the expression lipstick on a pig. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Pig of a seat. Yeah. They win thirty eight seven, but as it was it like putting lipstick on a pig. And I think Husky fans were like, oh, do you have to go there? They had a nice win. It's a nice way to end the, the season. It's a nice way to end the Chris Peterson era. They came out and dominated the game, and you've got you to gotta bring back up the, the 2019 season. Well, I, th- how I much mean, How much satisfaction do Husky fans get over that win? Well, I don't think much, but I, I think it, at times they showed why people were picking them to go to the playoff. I mean, at times they looked great. They yeah. looked like they had tons. When that offense is clicking, it almost looks unfair. It's so amazing and so hard to defend but then they lost five games so I don't have any why wasn't it amazing all year would you explain to me how that Boise State team was ranked 19th well 12 and 1 they just look at the record I felt like we could have grabbed 22 Mitch Unfiltered listeners Giving them, giving them a run. They did you watch the game? Yeah, I watched the first half. They, yeah, they stunk. The they yeah. were terrible. Well, they play like in the Mountain West or what? Where did they I don't play? Know. They, and I went over their schedule to to remind myself if they beat. They didn't beat anybody. Oh yeah, they beat Hawaii twice. Okay, that's their claim to fame. They beat, I, and they beat Florida State, but I don't think Florida State was any good because they fired their coach. Right, they're not good. 
So, I mean, Boise State, I, I, I can't imagine that that was a very good team. The fact that they were only three-and-a-half-point underdogs to Washington was like, that was the crime. That was the easiest. That was we, we, we all should have gone to Vegas and put our whole life savings on Washington. Or be like me and take the Cardinals plus nine today. Or uh, on Sunday. <laughs> plus nine, Cardinals. Woo! Who wasn't sweating that bet? Easy. Easy you mean, money. You actually you plucked a few dollars down on the Cardinals? Well, I, is that it's legal? Not very good, that's not good karma. Well, I mean, Betting you know. the opposing team. It's a, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. And by the way, I was hoping the Seahawks would win by seven. So there you go. Coach Pete is done for now. His Washington team wins 38-7. to seven. He was asked after the game, how's it going to feel on Sunday morning to wake up for the first time in 30 years and not be worrying about a bunch of college guys? Yeah. And he said, quote, it's going to be awesome. And the next day after that, too, it's going to be awesome. But maybe in a month, it might not be so awesome. Figuring out what to do next, but it's going to be good for a while. Uh, Spoken like the man that he is, yeah. the man that's coming back to coach football within two years. He oh, will I, be on a sideline within two years coaching major college football. But what's going to change from the stuff he hates now? He's still going to have to do it in two years. Yeah, he's going to take a break. But then he'll like press conferences and stuff again? No, no, again. no. He'll go somewhere where he's not pulled at as much as he was at Washington. Maybe a, a lesser. Maybe he'll go back to Boise State. I don't know what the situation will be. Yeah. Based on the way they play the other yeah, they could use him. fire the <laughs> coach, although he's his best buddy. Uh, Richard I, Newton. He looked great. Ran Running one back. in and threw one in. Yeah, he's a beast. I told you early on. Is the Jacob Eason era over at Washington? I think it is. I think he's gone. But I was going to ask you, what do you think about seniors or whomever sitting yeah, out bowl play, games? Yeah. What do you, how do you feel about that? I mean, it's tough because if you're their dad, of course, you don't want them to get hurt. But it's one more game. You think it's kind of kind of bush in a kind of bush league? The pro, I, for some the, reason, I don't like it. Every time, well, there's a lot of reasons not to like it. It okay. really impact. I mean, that's bowl games. Isn't what isn't that what college football is all about? Isn't yeah. that why you go to play college football? But, you know, there are pro prospects that are playing college bowl games that don't mean – it is, it is an exhibition game. It doesn't really impact anything what? unless you're playing in the college football playoff. Okay, they're all exhibition, exhibition games after you lose two, right? I mean, once you're out of the playoff hunt, aren't yeah. they all exhibition games? No, you're still trying to win a conference title. You're still yeah, trying to get into a conference championship game. To get to a bowl that's an exhibition. The problem is I probably would, would agree completely with you about how Bush league I, – I find it to be Bush League. I like to see these guys play of the course. final game. The problem that I have is I have a memory that you don't have. Okay. There was a Miami – I was a huge University of Miami fan, as you would imagine, when I was a kid. I think I might know. Oh, there, when you are a kid. Okay. There was – and this wasn't when I was a kid. I was more of a college student. I don't know what year it was. There was a guy – you can go check me up on it. There was a guy named Melvin Bratton, a running back for Miami. He was good. They were really good, and he was good. He was really good. He was really, really yes, good. And I he remember. was going to be a top, top, top – pick in the NFL draft and he suffered not just a knee injury like a catastrophic blowing out of the knee 25 years ago when when surgeries weren't as advanced I mean his career essentially was never the same was it against Oklahoma it might have been against Nebraska or Oklahoma yeah. or one of those teams in a bowl I remember the play he got hit right on his knee he went up you know, I, I can remember the whole thing and yeah. I for whatever reason every time somebody says that's going into the NFL draft, I'm going to sit out the bowl game. My first my first reaction is what your reaction is. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. You play in the bowl. But my second reaction is Melvin Bratton. I don't know why. I can't get Melvin Bratton out of my head. And this is like 30 years ago, 25 years ago. I just remember the play in the bowl game that ruined his professional career. 
And that just keeps me bring, bringing me back to I get it. That's all. Do you remember the Willis McGahee injury against? Of course. That of course. was horrendous. Yeah, of course. But then 10 months later, I know I've brought this up. He's under a squat rack with 450 pounds showing the world he's healthy. Yeah. yeah. So I think medical no, another science. Another Miami is, guy. Right. Another but Miami. Medical, that's what I thought you were going to say at first. No. But medical science has come a long way since. Go back and the, do a, if you're listening to this, do a, do a Google search on um, Mel, Melvin Bratton. He was good. I remember him because I've watched a lot of old Bosworth <laughs> games yeah. and they'd have some battles with, with Miami. Yeah. And I remember I think him. He, was he was on good. either like a Bernie Kosar team. Uh, he was just really good. And it was yeah. a terrible, terrible knee injury. Anyway. Yeah. I, I get other stuff. I get it. But you anyway. got any other stuff you want to want? I got a couple of other things that people yeah. might be interested I got in. A besides bunch. the fact that the Seahawks are probably toast against the 49ers. What do you have? Speaking of Boise State, did you see Achillean Butler, that poor kid for Boise State who got hurt? He's a senior. He had to sit out the bowl game and he was crying. He's also the brother of the Michigan State player who came out with the dogs. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was on Boise State, his brother. I didn't know that. Because I heard the announcers going, hey, he lost his mom two years ago. He lost his dad. And I'm thinking, That's- I've heard a similar story. That's amazing. He's not a senior. This guy couldn't be a senior. Achillean is the guy in Boise State's a senior, yeah. Well, the guy who came out with the dogs is a senior. I don't know what to tell you. He was crying on the sideline, and they said wow. he's, he's done forever. Wow. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Do you know the name Taco Fall? Of course. I love Taco. Why do you like Taco Fall? Well, just because he's, he's enormous. Yeah, he's like, I love watching him in the tournament. They had a nice run. You know that he became a fan favorite, like a cult hero in Boston? He's on the Boston Celtics, and he has split his time between what do they call it, the G League, yeah, and the, and he's never played. And ever, at the end of every game, the crowd chants "Sub Taco, Sub Taco," <laughs> or "Put Taco in," or yeah, some yeah. Cha- every time in the Boston Garden that they play when he is actually on the Celtics bench and not over at the D League, they just start chanting to Brad Stevens, sure. the coach, "Put Taco in," and the whole place put, <laughs> and he never does. It. Oh, really? He's yeah. never done it until now. He finally got in Saturday night. I guess on Saturday before the game, his young daughter, Brad Stevens' young daughter, said, Dad, the ga- these games are out of hand at the end. Why don't you just give the fans what they want? Yeah. So I've seen – have you seen the – you obviously no, haven't seen No, but I hi- want to. Oh, the highlight is incredible. The place just starts chanting, <laughs> put Taco in. Put Taco – like they would. And they don't think that he's going to go in because they haven't gone – these guys haven't gone in and all these chants before. All of a sudden, from the bench – Brad Stevens, who this is out of character for him, he starts like waving him on like louder. Put Taco. He's trying to get oh, him to wow. say it louder, and people's like, "Yeah, put Taco in." <laughs> and then he goes, he points, to uh. him, and he comes running out. He throws <laughs> off of his and the place. You would have thought they just won the world championship. Right, right. They went so nuts. <laughs> That's great. So Taco play. Good for him. I'm so glad he's getting some playing time. So you remember, I got a Marcus Peters update for you. Remember he drank the beer and he got fined? Yeah. yeah. Well, what I don't know. What'd I tell you? 17,000, 9,000? Yeah, it was like something that. like that. Yeah. Well, Bud Light tweeted out, drinking a celebratory beer isn't a crime. <laughs> we'll match that tab with a donation to a charity on your behalf. Aww. DM us. How about Bud Light stepping up? Well, Bud Light's looking for attention. Well, fine, but they're still <laughs> going to give 17,000 to charity, so good for Bud Light. Oh, your old University of Washington buddy is uh, in the news. Oh, boy. Isaiah Thomas. Oh, I have that in mind, too. Yeah. Cold, what is it? Cold-blooded. 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 Uh, Isaiah Thomas is yeah. in the news. On Saturday night, he's now playing for the Washington Wizards. They're in Philadelphia against your favorite fan base. Yes. The Philadelphia 76ers faithful. And what happens? They rarely disappoint. He's D- on the free middles. throw line. He's on the free throw line late in the game. He misses the first free throw. 
late in the game. The game is out of hand. He knocks home. He coolly knocks home the second free throw. Didn't matter. And as he's going back to the other end of the court, somebody from Philadelphia is giving him both fingers, some fan, and he's, and he's yelling, you know, F you, bitch. F you, bitch. Yeah, yeah. He's yelling at him. Yeah, yeah. So there was a stoppage in play, and what did Isaiah Thomas do? Went into the stands to confront him. He went, as as maybe a lot of people would, but most probably wouldn't. It's a big no-no, but yes. He went right into the stands. He got himself thrown out of the game. He went right in the stands, and he said said something like, do you have something to say to me? The guy was giving him the double double fingers and the F you, bitch. And the guy apologized immediately and said... They won something free or something, right? I just wanted a Frosty. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Now, God... Now, people don't get this. Yeah. I guess in Philadelphia, if an opposing team player misses two free throws back-to-back, yeah. everybody gets a free Frosty at Wendy's. <laughs> right. He missed the first one. He made the second one. So everybody lost out on their 99-cent free Frosty. Yeah. And he was living. He was pissed. And he yeah. said, F you, bitch. <laughs> and so he apologized to him. I'm so sorry. I apologize. I just wanted my free Frosty. Hilarious, but what do you think about him going in the stands? I mean, is is that? Is, I mean, I like Isaiah Thomas. He seems like a nice enough guy. But don't, uh, you're hitting me with another one where I have mixed emotions about. I mean, I just think about Judge Judy always says sticks and stones. Everybody, come I, on. Yeah, no, but there's just I can't stand these. We've gone through this before. I yeah. can't stand these fans, these spectators, who believe because they paid for a ticket that they can do something that they can't do on the street. But that's every sporting event, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, I just think on some level, these people that go... I mean, I remember when it happened to Marcus Smart. Remember Marcus Smart in college? There was a guy in the front, like a booster of one of the schools. He played for Oklahoma State who got right in his face and made some racial slur. Yeah. Okay. These people that buy tickets and pay a lot of money for tickets and they think that entitles them to act like an absolute... I mean, this guy, if he had said this to... To Isaiah Thomas at Starbucks or oh, on the streets, he would, get, out. he would get his ass kicked. Yeah. Why do these guys think that they can, okay, I bought a ticket, I can now sit in the arena, and I can do anything I want to do, which I can't do out there, I can do in here. Now, yeah. does that make it right for Isaiah Thomas to go to go approach him? I actually don't mind that he, I, I would have a problem if he went out there throwing throwing haymakers. If Isaiah, But Isaiah Thomas merely just got in his face and said, you have something to say to me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have that much a problem. I would have had a problem if he had started a physical altercation, if Isaiah Thomas had, had shoved him or done something like that. But at, at some point, these people, these these idiots who believe they're allowed to behave, they the purchase of a ticket allows them to behave this way. They need to be put in their place on some level. It no? seems like opening a can of worms, though. I mean, I sat in the south end zone of Seahawks Stadium. Every time the opposing team scored, it's middle fingers up, F you, throwing beers. I mean, it gets crazy at games. I mean, it, so every time that happens, every time somebody puts middle fingers up, the players should go confront them. I mean, that's no, every no, sporting I just, event, I just, you know? I just don't have a problem with Isaiah Thomas doing it for some reason. At least he handled himself like a gentleman. He didn't go got up there and out of the, punch no. him. And, he yeah. didn't go out there and punch him. He said, do you have something to say? And then he got thrown out of the game. He left the game, and he told reporters afterward, he apologized because he wanted a free frosty. He wanted a free frosty. Don Wink Martindale. Listen up. What? Do you know who Don Wink Martindale? You know who that guy is? Well, the real Wink Martindale wants tickets to a Ravens game ASAP. Oh, well, Don Wink Martindale is like a defensive coordinator or something. For the right? Ravens, yeah. right. Yeah. So uh, 
He says, I think I'm going to sue him for using my name, Wink said with a laugh. Somebody interviewed Wink Martindale. They found him on the street. He said, I love it. I love it. I get mentioned on Ravens games. I love it. Because he stole the nickname. His name isn't the offensive coordinator or whatever isn't Wink Martindale. His name's Don, I think. Mm-hmm. But people just kept calling him Wink because his last name's Martindale. So now the real Wink Martindale has come out and said, I would love tickets to a Ravens game. So, you know, for letting is you Wink, use my name. Is the real Wink Martindale too old to fly? Or <laughs> He looks good. I saw an interview with oh, him. Oh, you so, did? Yeah, really? yeah. He's around somewhere? He's hanging out in Burbank, I would imagine. But it's bad news for the, the Ravens, Wink, because uh, there's only one home game left for Baltimore in the regular season. I think he missed it, right? Uh, yeah, was that, I think it might have been on Sunday. Was were they No, home? they played it at Cleveland on Sunday. Okay, so well, they, have one more. they got one more left, yeah. so that's his chance to go to a Ravens game. All right. Uh, what is this I hear about a Steph Curry naked picture? Oh, you're giving me the look. Do you it, know about this? Oh, do I know? It was... It's been a pretty busy week for naked celebrities. Oh, I don't know about naked. All uh, I know is I read a story that there was this picture that everybody said was n- naked Steph Curry. There's three. As it turns out, it's not naked Steph Curry. It's all a hoax. Well, he said it's not. Well, it's totally a hoax. And the and the wife is now volleyed in and taking shots and having fun with it. And apparently this is all just a, a bunch of nonsense. And Logan Paul, baby, all these other celebrities like a, a week of like naked men. No, I don't know who those people are who, who are those people Logan Paul's like this YouTube annoying person who's like a, I don't know he's male like an influencer or he's a male. male yeah his is a little more graphic than Steph Curry's but did you see the Steph Curry pictures because I, I have not I did see one of them yes did you believe them to be true uh, yes I did is he with a woman no where is he is he in the shower where no, is I he think he's just in front of a mirror he's just kind of standing there apparently it's all a hoax Okay. Complete well, hoax. It doesn't seem like him. I mean, he seems like he's <laughs> no, smarter than that. No, you know? it doesn't. Although, Greg Oden's out there, too. Greg Oden naked pictures? Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to pass. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may not feel so good about yourself after looking at Greg Oden. I mean, oh, it's like, okay, all right, holy all right. Toledo. We don't have to go there. Let's not go there. All right, your boy Joe, Joe Horn, pretty good receiver. You remember yeah, him? Yeah, well, we talked about him. He's in trouble. Facing 10 years in prison. He's part of that group. No, I know, but 10 years. I was pretty yeah, well, he was, he, was, he was phoning in fraudulent claims to the, to the insurance company yeah. and getting reimbursed for equipment that he didn't buy. And he was starting a whole trend of it. He, he got your buddy Etrick Pruitt in. I <laughs> talked about Etrick Pruitt taking yeah. the bad angle in the in the Super Bowl for the Seahawks. Crazy. I mean, he did it for like up to $150,000 worth of stuff. So not good for Joe Horn. Saturday Night Live, Eddie Murphy? Yes. Yay or nay? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs to the side. I've been waiting all year for this. This was probably the most Mitch Levy anticipated Saturday Night Live in 15 years. I don't remember ever saying to myself, oh, I got to see it this week. I got to see it this week. It's been 20 years since I said that to myself. It hasn't been appointment viewing in a long no. time. Yet. When I heard or I read it before the season even started that on the last one before the New Year's, Eddie Murphy's going to return to Saturday Night Live for the first time in like 40 years or something. I, I immediately circled it on my account. I've been waiting for this. I watched it. I watched it on the, the 830 oh, showing. Oh, so great. They do that. They do the 830 showing. Did you see it? Where, did, where, where do you stand? Well, you're asking a guy who absolutely loves Eddie Murphy and loved yeah. him as a kid. I yeah. remember I, I had delirious memorized. I told he, you that I talked to him, right? Yes. No. You yeah. yelled out at him. Yeah. 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 I had, I'm sorry, Clint. I thought you were homosexual. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had the whole thing. I love Eddie Murphy. So for me, I couldn't have loved it. It could have been three hours. 
I love that he did his old characters. I because sometimes you think he might Mr. be a, Roger, Mr. Robinson, Mr. Robinson, Gumby, and Buckwheat. Buckwheat. I, I found myself laughing so hard at Buckwheat. Maybe I shouldn't have been. I don't know, but I was Does loving anybody it. Anybody get those things? Does no. the younger generation no. even get those characters but or no? Gumby was before my generation, so I didn't even get it in like '83. It's like a '60s toy. Oh, I see. I so, remember the toy. Yeah, the toy. Yeah. So it's like, what's Gumby been doing lately? Let, let's see. But he's like disgruntled because he can't get work. That was the whole yeah. joke. So Gumby was too old for me. So no. Yeah. Kids, 21, no one gets it now. Yeah. No one even really gets Mr. Rogers, by the way. I mean, that's Mr. Rogers hasn't been on for a long time. Right. But I couldn't have loved it anymore to answer your question. I loved it. Total thumbs up. For you too? No, I'm asking. Oh, for me, total thumbs up. Yeah. My thumb kind of goes like that. Hmm. First of all, the bar was very high. We talked about how yes. the 49ers, maybe that the 49ers game this weekend is going to be a lot more enjoyable because none of us are giving the Seahawks a chance to win, and that changes our perspective. And yep. now if they even compete, we'll be happy. My, my, my bar was really high, and I'm glad that he did the old characters, and I'm glad that he came back. The only thing that's keeping me from a major thumbs up is I thought he would be more irreverent and funnier in the monologue. I thought the monologue was good, but it wasn't like Eddie Murphy stand-up comedy. I remember Eddie yeah. Murphy stand-up comedy. The monologue was just, to me, it was somewhat clever. They brought the other guys out. Yeah, yeah. They brought all the other guys out. All the guys he inspired. Yeah. Yeah. It was more I, of a tribute I, than a monologue. Yeah, I was yeah. hoping he would be funnier in the monologue. I was hoping he was going to talk about why he hadn't been there in 40 years and take some shots at Saturday Night Live, and yeah. they would be they would be self-deprecating and let him do that and just let him be Eddie Murphy and go crazy. Like, I saw him a couple nights earlier on with Jimmy Fallon, and this was just a mistake that I saw. It. I, was, I popped it on okay. before I went to sleep one night, and Eddie Murphy was on with Jimmy Fallon. And he – they had to – I mean, you couldn't even understand what he said because they had to beep the whole the whole conversation yeah, had to be yeah, beeped yeah. out. I just thought he would be a crazier, zanier, funnier in the monologue. But other than that, I liked I liked the fact that they did Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. I liked awesome. Gumby. I liked I liked I liked the whole thing. The updated version of Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood too. He explained yeah, yeah, why yeah, he's yeah. still in the same place. Yeah, <laughs> Squatters' the rights. Yeah, the, the whole TV. the TV was yeah, great. Yeah. All right, I got one uh, heartfelt story. And then, that I, we and then I'll do the athlete of the week, and we'll finish up. By the way, Eddie Murphy did swear. I don't know if you caught it or not. He he said it. He said shit on the show, and they had to. I don't know how they can bleep it when I watch the eight thirty one too. But he he said, "No, they can bleep it. It's on. It's on delay. It's on delay. Oh sure. Since the Super Bowl, everything's on delay. It Since was the Janet Jackson Super Bowl. Everything's on delay. It was during the baking contest, which wasn't really a funny sketch. But he yeah, where he had the the, the monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he said, "I thought we could win this," and then he like puts his, and then everyone of course starts laughing. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, uh, Sam Abiza Bay plays basketball at Monmouth. He came out of the stands, this happened a few days ago, to carry an injured player from the other team, from Manhattan. He was watching the women's game, and he just, this woman, like, had this awful injury from Manhattan. She couldn't walk. And so he's, like, 6'11", 240, plays for Monmouth. It's so cool. He comes out of the stands, scoops her up, and then carries her over to the bench. No one asked him. He didn't have to do it. And then I read a little bit about him, and he's like this amazing guy who wants to work for the UN and be a peace ambassador. Wow. He's from Lagos, Nigeria. So maybe he should be the athlete of the week. And he I shouldn't do this. Well, no, I'm sure yours is good too. But I just yeah. wanted to give him a little shot. I thought that was such a great have the sportsmanship. Video? We can find the video. Yeah, it's everywhere. You saw the, is the video video good? Should yeah. I, should I tweet it out or put it on the Mitch Unfiltered Facebook page or something? Yeah, I think it's yeah. worth it because it's yeah. just it's heartwarming that it's an, the other team too. He just scoops her up because he's a big dude. Right. So it was great. Well, Good for him. I have an athlete of the week. Okay. You know, it's it's okay. It's not going to be. You're not going to remember this one for many, many, many years to come. But I'll give it to you. The athlete of the week is Fallon Sherrick. Fallon Sherrick, 
Fallon Sherrick's magical run at the PDC World Dart Championships (laughs) at Alexandria Palace continues Saturday night with an upset win over Mansur Suljevic, the number 11-ranked player in the world. Sherrick had already made history in London earlier in the week, becoming the first woman in the history of the Dart Championship to beat a man in, in the event. Good for never, her. There had never been a female that had beaten a man in the event. Sherrick became that. And then on top of it, won again, beat the number 11th ranked man by throwing six in a row. Six bullseyes God. in a row. Is that right? Yeah. Or six out of ten. or I, I don't Jeez. know how it works. Six bullseyes. So, ladies and gentlemen, your, your episode 71, your episode Walter Jones, Athlete of the Week, is Fallon Sherrick. I love it. Good Unless you want to give it to the guy that came out of the stands to pick up the, uh, the fallen women's basketball. Yeah, let's see how Monmouth does, and maybe we can revisit it. Let's <laughs> see how he does on the court. <laughs> no, good for her. I think that's a cool story. Right. Did we make people forget about what happened on Sunday? I don't know. I hope so. I hope so. I hope somebody got some laughs out of it. Look, like you said, the Seahawks are in a really good position, even with a, some big injuries. But they're in a good place. Just got to beat the 49ers. Look, the Cardinals are 4-9-1, and one, and they beat the Seahawks. Anyone can beat anyone, so I'm starting to talk myself into it a bit. I'll be ready for Sunday. Episode Walter Jones, ladies and gentlemen, is in the books.